On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Chris Regan, who is hotly anticipating his new movie, Paintball Massacre. He wrote it. Um, I want to hear some inside stories of the making of that, because who doesn't love a good paintball massacre? But it's also cool that he's uh, had a couple other of his scripts produced, and he is the second person in the last month that I've interviewed from Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire. So welcome to the show, Chris. Hello. Who was the other person you interviewed from Stoke-on-Trent? Oh, my God. Isn't that just amazing? It was <laughs> C.J. Wally. Okay. Do you know him? No. Well, after today, you're going to have to look him up because yeah. he also is a screenwriter who works in the action genre. But you might know him from a website he created called Script Revolution. Oh, okay. I did. See, I was looking at your podcast. I did see that episode. I'll, okay, I'll have to. I'll have to check that out. I know. I think I mentioned his favorite fish and chips place, so maybe you'll bump into him there. Right. <laughs> hey, but this is an exciting time because you have a movie coming out in two weeks that you wrote called Paintball Massacre, and we're going to talk about all that and hopefully talk about some of the things that inspired that. But just real quickly, in your own words, you know, what is the story of Paintball Massacre? It's about uh, a group of friends uh, who, well, I say friends, they they it's a high school reunion. So these this group of uh, people in their, they're probably in their late sort of late twenties, early thirties. They agreed to go to this reunion, and there's going to be the guy who set up the reunions set up this paintball game for the next day, and so they go, they turn up to this thing, they go to the paintball game, uh, but fairly early on, they discover that the the rival team has uh, has been killed, uh, like really like, killed in real life, like not not part of the game. They've been massacred. Um, and oh so they, then they, they're in the middle of nowhere and they have to figure out sort of who's doing this, how to get, how to escape. And, 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 uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sort of, it's, I guess it, it, I suppose it fits most easily into the sort of slasher genre, but it's also, it, it's kind of a comedy as well. It's quite funny, but, uh, yeah. Which in, in England, you guys are kind of, I think ever since Shaun of the Dead are known as the masters of the comedy horror genre. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think it's a, it's a difficult genre to kind of pin down because there, there aren't really that, well, I don't think there are that many sort of successful films. <laughs> I think Shaun of the Dead is the one that people always point to. But then mm -hmm. I also think, I think of things like um, uh, Beetlejuice, I think is a great comedy horror. Um, so I, don't, I think, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think there are, there are sort of good comedy horrors on both sides, really. I think it's hard to do both because it's hard to do comedy without sacrificing the horror. Yeah, I, I think that that is tricky. And I think it's um, it, it's one of the things I was very aware of writing it. And I think for me, it was I, I wanted the horror to be sort of scary, but it, it's it's less it's not a film that's about sort of telling jokes. It's not kind of full of gags it's it it the, the comedy comes from the way the characters react to what's going on but what's happening is still quite serious and quite sort of hardcore but it's it's their reactions that's funny um yeah when i was watching the trailer 
I, I was wondering, is this a 10-year reunion or a 20-year reunion? Well, it's, it's, it's never really said. And the thing is, there's probably, I think there's probably about a 20-year age gap between the youngest actor and the oldest actor. So. I know, because I was figuring, okay, if you're 18 when you graduate and it's 10 years later, you'd be about 28. But yeah, I, I think the cast could go either way, like late 20s yeah. to early you know, early thirties. I think it's, I think, I think in my head, I kind of thought it'd be, it would be about a 15 year reunion. I mean, it'd be, it'd be a kind of impromptu, like they just decided to have a reunion at this point, but it's, it's, it's somewhere between the 10 and 20 years. And like a lot of um, people, some age better, some look young for their age. Some have just gone to pot in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose I had a, a similar experience. Uh, I, I had a, a sort of university reunion, and it's that. I think that's the, yeah. It's interesting to see how people change, and but also I think one of the things I took from that that I sort of put into the script is also how people don't change in terms of when you get those people back together, everyone kind of reverts back to how they were at that time when they knew each other. That's generally been been my experience that as much as people move on and do different things with their lives as soon as they're back together with those people those kind of old relationships kind of just kick back in um, right almost like some unfinished business and resentments that they still haven't worked out yeah yeah i mean the the, the, the film sort of opens in a in a pub where they where they all kind of meet for the first time and it kind of plays like a kind of how you would imagine that they would be in the in the cafeteria at lunch at school the, the, in high school it's, these, it's the same sort of um, you know that they're, they're still making fun of each other and kind of uh, and, and sort of some of them are a bit bullying and, and they yeah they, they clearly didn't get on that well at school and still don't now particularly but they've been brought together because of this thing well, I want to get into the, the bloody details of Paintball Massacre, uh, but first I, I want to tell people a little bit about what led up to this. I was looking at your IMDb, and you actually had um, a co-writing credit back in 2008, Ten Dead Men, which seemed like yeah. a more um, out-and-out action you know, genre film. Then a couple of years ago, um, London Heist, where it seems like you went up a little bit in budget and scope. And it seems like you've had an interesting um, just progression, you know, for a lot of screenwriters out there, they would just love to have any of these credits. I mean, how did you get part of that first produced movie and how have you progressed and gotten to bigger movies since then? Uh, it's, well, it's been, it's been a bit erratic. It's, it's, Ten Dead Men was was uh, that was very much a kind of micro budget. Where sort of we we filmed that ourselves <laughs> on weekends basically. It was um, I'd been working on a on a web comic with the the two guys who produced and directed that film, uh, and we've been doing this comic for a while. And they mentioned they were doing they'd been they'd done a feature before that, uh, and they wanted to do another one. So. They, yeah, so that's how I got involved with it, and then it it kind of developed sort of organically, really, because it was. I think we worked on two or three ideas, and then settled on that one. I think they had a bit of money from their previous film, but not. I mean, it was about ten grand. Like it wasn't loads. It was, um, and most of that went on blowing things up. 
Uh, <laughs> or, or, or I was going to guess uh, paying for Doug Bradley to appear in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that was it. Was interesting. The way it developed was the we had like a basic idea, which is it's a revenge plot. The a guy who works for this gang, he's sort of left for dead, and then he comes. He's but he's not dead, and he comes back and kills everybody. It's the same as it's point blank. Basically, was that was my inspiration, um, and uh, I forget the name of the. The um the, the the novel point blank's based on, but that 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 kind of thing, um, uh, and well, and it sounds like um, it's very collaborative. Did you like write it with a director? I mean, what was the process that got uh, the script going? I wrote a script. I wrote a. There was their idea. They wanted to do this this revenge idea, and they had. I think they had a few things in place, like uh, a couple of the actors and some of the locations and things they knew that they could do um uh, so it's basically you guys said this is these are our resources we can't have too many locations so let's write a script around those limitations yeah and one of the one of the limitations we had was because uh i mean i I think a thing with all low budget films is is sound is really difficult to do um i mean it's probably easier now than it was back then this is it was about sort of 15 years ago but um the so one of the one of the rules we had was, was there was going to be no uh sort of very minimal dialogue throughout throughout the whole thing so it was almost like a silent film um because we knew that that would cause a problem if we were trying to sort of record sound and things so um which is so we, probably a good discipline for a screenwriter to yeah. write something with less dialogue so you can learn to develop action and not rely on just you know talking exposition yeah yeah so we, that that's how it was that's how it was written it was and it was this they i think we we collaborated on all the sort of set pieces because that was very much dependent on what they were what they could do and it was very ambitious i mean there's a there's a there's, there's a scene one of the one of the guys he has to kill is a cage fighter and there's we they did a scene. They went to an arena and sort of on a on a day when it was closed and sort of filmed this scene and then cut that together with crowd scenes from an actual fight and you know this and and we did we blew up a car. There's an action sequence at the end which, um, where you know I think probably about thirty people die. It's really it's, it was, there's quite a lot going on. That's ambitious but, and you know j- just you know your first blown up car. You never forget that, do you? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, that was. It was really, yeah, it was really impressive. And uh, I mean, um, I mean when, well, when people like us go into filmmaking, mm. we want to imitate the movies that inspired us. So if we like action movies with lots of explosion, you know, we want yeah. to try to recreate that, and that's that's such a thrill. I mean, blowing up a car though, it's a lot harder than it looks. But I, I think for a lot of fans who know Doug Bradley from Hellraiser, he played head Cenobite pinhead. Mm. People would think, how on earth did you get him? Especially for your, you know, first produced screenplay. How on earth did you luck out and, and get a horror icon into your movie? Well, this, this is the thing with the, with the dialogue actually. So when the way it developed was that the film was we we kind of did all this stuff at weekends and we did what we could and it was the the, the story of the, the the script was changing week on week because either because we couldn't get something that was planned or we could so what well, by the end we had what we had was some great scenes but it was all a bit of 
in terms of the narrative, it was a bit of a mess. Uh, it was all over the place. Um, and I had written a voiceover to kind of go to title together that was from the main character's point of view, but that wasn't really working. And then it was, I think it was the producer, Phil, who suggested Doug, and I don't know whether whether he'd already we, i mean we just went through the normal challenge he'd, he'd got in touch with doug's agent and um and and, and at that point because i know doug's based in the us now but he was he was in the uk at that point and um uh, and he was available so uh, and we said we'd just need him we sort of worked out we, we could probably do it in a day get uh, if we got him to do the narration for the whole film uh so yeah so we just we just sort of paid him for a day to do this this narration and it okay it, it turned into uh, this almost like a dark fairy tale where, because I knew, because once we got him, it was like, well, he can't, he's not, if you look at the main, the Brendan who plays the main character, they're clearly not the same person. So we couldn't do it, the voiceover from the character's point of view as it was written originally. So, but I was like, well, Doug Bradley's got such a great voice. So I wrote it instead as this kind of weird fairy tale story about this um, kind of like a gangland fairy tale uh and i think it i mean i, I think it came out really well it's, i mean it makes it it's quite odd it's quite a bizarre film <laughs> because it it sort of opens with this as if you're being told a, a fairy tale by doug bradley and then uh and then people well, just when you're in the studio with him yeah. i really hope you had doug recite some of his hellraiser lines i think i think they I didn't, but someone definitely asked him to because there were a few of us there that day. Um, I remember I was really, um, I was having a quite a stressful day <laughs> because I remember there was one, there were a couple of bits of lines that were a couple of lines that weren't working, and we kind of knew they weren't working, and so uh, so they said, "Well, can you just go and write something else?" But I don't know. Um, like i i can't do things on the spot i'm really bad i'm fine if i've got time and i'm on my own but i can't write things on demand <laughs> like that and especially it was like i didn't we didn't have that much time left at that point i thought so so, so i went off into a different room and kind of um was, was sort of scrambling to get oh these my words. god so what's that like <laughs> the clock is ticking your talent is there you got them for a limited time i mean that's, it was, a, lot of, that's a lot of pressure on you yeah, yeah, and no, it was it was uh, that was really difficult. Um, but and I can't did, did it did it inspire some of your best dialogue no, or your best voiceover? <laughs> no, it really didn't. I think I'm pretty sure in the end, I think the director came up with something that was that was better. I find, I mean, now I'm a bit more experienced. I think actually in those situations, it's much better to have a, a kind of collaborative approach and and talk things through together. Yeah. Um, I don't. I just. I think most people this... will never know the terror of suddenly having a, a cast and crew standing around and you have to produce some work right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's horrible. <laughs> it's like... Well, you learned your lesson, Chris. So next time, but Hey, um, I have to throw a couple of these out. So remember this one, we have such sights to show you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hellraiser, and my favorite, will tear your soul apart. Yeah, I mean, Hellraiser is probably <laughs> my favorite film. I mean, if I if I was there, it's like, how could you get any work done? Because you just wanted to repeat <laughs> that over and over again. I did. I did chat to him about. Um, I did. When I, I'm sure I asked all the annoying fan questions. I asked him about which his favorite film was. 
in this. And I, I know he's. His oh, favorite. was it number two? No, it's three. His favorite. He's always said his favorite's three because that, that was the most fun. I um, think that was a Hell on Earth. Yes, oh, yes, yeah, one, it's Hell the on one Earth in, uh, in the city. In the yeah. Oh um, my God, that was the one with the um, when they put some new Cenobites, like the one with the the CD jammed yeah, in his head. Yeah, yeah, and the cocktail guy with the who breathes fire and. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that's interesting because isn't that the one where they gave him the flashback so you see more of his life before he turned into a Cenobite? I think that's the thing. I think for him, it's the what he was in most of. So he got more to do in that one. Yeah, you like get was a soldier, and it showed yeah. him on the battlefield. Because I think there's a little bit of that. There's like a glimpse of that in two, but in in the third one, yeah, and he he he's. At one point, he's in character as the soldier explaining what's going on and, and things. So, um, yeah, I think that's the that was that that was why that's why he liked it more. And I think probably, I mean, I don't know what the budgets were, but I imagine in that one probably had the biggest budget of the of all of them. Um, it's definitely right. seems like it. But um, and then I think I annoyed him because I really liked the the fifth film, which is the one that Scott Derrickson did. Um, is that the one where it's bloodlines? No, that's bloodlines is the fourth one. That's the sort yeah. of anthology one where they're in space. Um, and the f the fifth one is it, it's, it's Craig Sheffer and he's a he's a cop. Mm -hmm. And and I think Doug's problem with it was that it was it wasn't as with a lot of the sequels after that it wasn't a Hellraiser script. It was another script that, that Dimension had. And they just right. so she. I, I, I remember the Craig Shefford. Is that the one where um, they brought the character of Kirsty back? No, that's the that's the sixth one, I think. Okay, it's six or seven. It's one of that's that's one of the others, which is I've always like I thought it was a bit of a disappointment that one because if you sort of they make this big well you sort of it's it's the first one where you've got an original other than Doug you've got an original cast member and it should be this right. this this big confrontation. And it's she's sort of wasted, and then yeah. on the on the DVD, <laughs> this is how much of a Hellraiser fan I was. But um, I remember I got all the DVDs and and watched used to watch all the extras and everything. And the the deleted scenes on that film, there's all this kind of Kirsty and Pinhead dialogue um, that was cut out. And I think the you know the explanation they gave is that well we wanted to make a film that was for everyone and not just for the Hellraiser fans. And you sort of think, well, if you're making Hellraiser 6, it sort of is just for the Hellraiser fans. <laughs> I, think, I, think I think you're right. <laughs> I, I, what a scary thing to say, oh, we don't want it to be just for the fans. Well, your fans yeah. are the ones who are going to stick with you throughout. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I mean, that, and they, they do get, get worse. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen either of the ones with the dog isn't in. Um, but we have a, in, um, in Paintball Massacre, with uh, Nicholas Vince is in it, who played the the chattering Cenobite in the first two films. Cool. So, well, uh, tell me, since you do both action and horror and horror comedy, do you define yourself as a genre writer? I mean, do you would you like to do just one or the other? Yeah, I think if if I had a preference, I would do horror. Horror was was what is my sort of favorite genre, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. But it's uh yeah but i think i you know that i grew up in the i suppose i got really into films in the sort of late 80s early 90s when 
that kind of what I wanted to what I aspired to do was the kind of straight to video like mid-budget action film and horror like and horror films that don't that that kind of budget level doesn't really exist anymore um and that that was the stuff that that that, that I wanted to do and I think um it's uh yeah I don't it it's it's quite I think at this at the lower levels it's quite hard to sort of to sort of put yourself into a genre and say this is what this is what I do because it, it's it, I think it becomes more about what 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 works available sometimes but mm -hmm. um, well, I think I, there's some crossover between action and horror in that if you grow up liking special effects in movies yeah you can be drawn to you know action has the blowing up cars and just really cool stunts and all that and there's some crossover to that into horror so i can see how that could be a link between the two yeah and i think they're they're, they're, they're both very kind of set piece based uh, i mean in uh again paintball massacre is sort of has has action scenes essentially it has people running around with their paintball guns but they are running around with guns um and, and yeah there's always there's chases in horror films and action films so i think there is i think there is a lot of um, crossover uh, well even the the walking dead has such an you know action quality to it yeah 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 no, it, it definitely does and i think i do I do love the action genre. I mean, I, I do think it's kind of there's a sort of purity to it. Like, is this 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 is what cinema is? If you look at uh, if you go back to sort of Buster Keaton and and that kind of era, they, they the some of the stunts and things in those films are still incredible now. And I can see a direct line between that and the the Fast and Furious films, for example. Like, I think I think that's kind of. Um, I think there's still something very cinematic about action cinema. And I think, uh, and also like, like horror, I think it's also a genre that's kind of looked down upon uh, critically at, a lot of the time. So yeah, I think it, I think they do kind of sit in the same, the same space. Um, do you think that's why a horror writer sometimes thinks, Oh, I have a few credits now. Now I want to go legitimate and jump out of the genre yet. You know, so many of the fans, you know, they love that you do horror. They, they don't want you to go legitimate. They already think you are legitimate. And I think it's that whole thing of a lot of times horror and horror fans are looked down upon. And I think it's the filmmakers who go, no, we love our fans. We love this genre. You know, we're not ashamed of any of it. Yeah, I think a lot of the time people fall into genres I mean, this is what what I've learned, and I think everyone's experience is different. I think I learned it was quite difficult to go into just trying to focus on being a genre writer, whereas I think, and I think a lot of people actually fall into that by accident, which is, you know, I think I think people, you know, people like Wes Craven, for example, who never really wanted to do horror films i think it, it's just that's organically how it came about and they get they get they then get stuck in it um whereas i think there are there are fewer people who set out to do to do that and then and then end up doing it but um yeah i think that's, I think that's well, why for, well, for you for you do you see the action movies as just a temporary detour and now Paintball Massacre has you back in line where you're just really going to commit yourself to the horror genre. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, I mean, I spent a long time because uh, I think like a lot a lot of writers there were so many, there were so many projects I've worked on that have just never 
never made it and uh this um but for a, for a long time the like i think 10 dead men is something i'm really i was really happy with but after that uh especially sort of being in the uk a lot of uh and at that time most of the films that were being made were in the kind of the gangster crime genre uh which is which is kind of what london heist is that's like i mean it's it's an action film right. but it's very much which a, well, a lot of people think that you know guy ritchie you know, in the early 2000s, especially reactivated the English crime yeah. gangster action film. So it seems like that was still kind of in the air when you made London Heist. Yeah, I think, it, and I think at the time I made that was it was kind of. I mean, it's still they still make those films now, but it was it was kind of coming to the end of it. Uh, there was a, but there was a point where in the UK you could make a gangster film and make quite a lot of money off it but it would only really sell in the UK. Uh, and I, so, so there was a lot of stuff, that, but I, so I worked on a lot of gangster films that never, but the, the, the thing is, I mean, the, <laughs> it was, wasn't really a, a genre I was interested in. I wasn't, I don't think I was very good at it. Either, particularly. it wasn't well, so. Hey, you know, if you, if you know, if you're just using this process to hone in on what you like, yeah, that, that's valuable. But let's talk about London Heist for a moment. That was released in 2017. So more recently yeah. had uh, several co-writers in the credits. But one of them was the star Craig Fairbrass. Yeah. And I'm sure over there he's especially well known. But here in America, I just first knew of him because he was on Prime Suspect the series okay. mm -hmm. but um i'm really curious how directly did you work with him on the writing part you know and what's it like to actually write with the star of the film yeah that was an interesting one because that it was a script so it was his it was his idea uh and the i think it was a script that he'd wanted to do i think it was very much he wanted to do something about his dad and the this film was very much about this kind of um the character's father and things uh, in the in the in the more sensitive moments but um so he'd had this he's had the script for a while that, that and it had gone through i think it had gone through more writers than even credited i think i think it had, it had gone through a couple of others uh and then i was working with a production company in uh, in brighton which is it's on the south coast near where i live now and um and it came into them and they sort of asked me to have a look at it and we uh, I developed from there really i'd had a meeting with craig and i sort of discussed what i liked about the script and what i didn't and we just sort of started passing it backwards and forwards so i i do i'd kind of send him some notes he'd send some back his thoughts on those i'd do a bit of the script um at one point i did do a complete draft uh and then he kind of took out what he didn't like and, and and put in bits that he did and it was um yeah it, was, it sort of went on for quite a while and but then it, it, there was quite a big gap between that one being filmed and it actually coming out because i think they filmed it quite soon after i'd been working on it um so tell me oh, did were you on the set for the filming no no i mean i was uh, i did the writing and then that that was that that was it i was i was done with that and you were one. banished they said we don't want any writers on the set yeah yeah i mean uh yeah and i tend i don't think i don't think there's much value in a writer being on set 
anyway, I mean, with with Paintball Massacre, I had I had the option to to go on to set, uh, mm-hmm. but I I said no. <laughs> I th- I thought it would be better. We did a we did a cast read through just before the the they started filming, and I thought after after that I'm just gonna. I mean, I've made short films before, and I, th- I think if you've got you don't really. Suppose what you, for me, I wouldn't want the director or, or any of the actors or anything to to feel like they couldn't change the script if they needed to or adapt it. Um, and so when many it, things. Well, right. Well, when it comes to your credits, and it's kind of superficial, but a lot of people, you could do amazing movies, but it's like when they see that one of your scripts has been produced and it has a name star in it, then they feel, oh, this is real to them. And it's, you know, through no fault of their own, to most people, they think if there's a recognizable actor attached, they think that's more real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's because of how the business works. I mean, I think, I think it, it, the, the, the cinema has always been based on the, the, the kind of star system uh, from, you know, from early on Hollywood onwards. And I think that's, I, it's it's a kind of odd it's a, it's an odd system but i think that at the time and i don't know i don't even know if it's the case anymore i think things have moved on but there was certainly a point in the early 2000s where there was a list of of actors that could get your film made and it was quite and it's i think it's why there are so many films that uh, there was a point where nicholas cage and john cusack were in sort of hundreds of films because they were at the top of the kind of international list international cast mm-hmm. list that if you put them in the film they would get it would sell anywhere um but yeah and i think it does it does kind of uh distort things sometimes but but that said i mean i don't think i'm really happy with how london high turned out and it is it is kind of um it is useful to have a film like that in your in your credits that has that has sort of uh a noticeably bigger budget and and has um has stars in it but yeah in terms of i think the thing is once you once you get involved with bigger budgets the yeah my involvement was fairly was fairly minimal it was i think i probably worked on it for about a month um and uh yeah i did i stayed in touch with craig we did try and do another couple of projects after that um i tried to develop things that he was working on but again i just wasn't really a good a good fit i, I, I was I, I was i think i was quite useful on london heist because i knew i could see where the story wasn't working and sort of helped them work out some kinks that that they weren't quite sure how to fix um yeah are but, you good um, at at networking within the film industry is that part of the key to your success yeah yes and no I mean, yeah, I, I'd say, uh, I think, like, I think a lot of it's, I think it's more about, like, I mean, I have done, I've done the proper, the proper networking thing and the going to the, the sort of, uh, networking parties and things. And I've never found that particularly useful. Um, well, for aspiring screenwriters, you know, wanting to mimic your success, how have you gotten your scripts into people's hands? How have you gotten in touch with directors or producers that actually can do it? Because in this day and age in the internet, so many screenwriters are spinning their wheels and maybe spending too much time on people that actually can't help them. When did you figure yeah. out who could help you and who, who was just a waste of time? Well, the, the thing is, I think it goes back to Ten Dead Men and, and the and the director and the producer on that film, 
and I think that this is that this was sort of going to be my point really because I think it's it's not necessarily about networking with the big well, the the big producer with whatever company who's who's you know the, who can who's working with A-list stars it's because he's probably not going to be interested I mean but it is I think it's more about working with people at your level locally and then kind of coming up together because I think making it's it's such a collaborative thing you can't really do it on your own um but I mean that's how that's how I got so so the production company I was working in working for in Brighton that got me London highs that was through I got work with them through the director of 10 dead men um he got me uh -huh. in with them and then paintball massacre so the the uh the cinematographer Darren is Darren Berry. He he directed Paintball Massacre. So he, he so he was the cinematographer on Tendered Men, and we stayed in touch. And then he so he was the one who got me the 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 job on Paintball Massacre. So, and they and they must have thought you were good to work with too. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that, but it, I think it's also those um, we we've worked together a lot over those years. I mean, not just on the on on the big films. We worked on projects that didn't take off we'd worked on short films together like we'd help each other out on on short films i mean that was the thing uh, i think i think it was quite good about uh living in brighton was there was quite a big sort of filmmaking like independent filmmaking community there so you could you could do stuff at the weekend you could find people if you needed a crew you could always find some people to help out and some people with equipment and things mm -hmm. so um so there was a good i think there's a few years between 10 dead men uh, sort of from tender men onwards where we were kind of constantly working on little projects for each other and 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 and, and yeah so you sort so of stay you, in so touch. even with friends and colleagues you still have to pitch them you still have to get them excited about your idea so do you remember what your original pitch was for paintball massacre did you have like the you know the really tight one sentence elevator pitch well the thing is that it was the other way around they they came to me with uh with the pitch um so it was i it was the two the, there were two two producers on it um brendan and joe so brendan was i also knew brendan because he was the star of 10 dead men he was the, the lead lead actor in that and they'd had this idea about doing a paintball horror film and they knew you liked horror so do, do you I, think they thought oh this is a way to get chris back into a horror movie well, it was it was a weird roundabout route. They'd actually gone to uh, another friend, um, uh, who'd who was who was who was a huge horror fan. Um, uh, my friend Justin Richards, who he used to run uh, he used to run a horror film festival in um, uh, just outside Bristol. So they'd gone to him first, and he'd said he didn't have time to do it, but recommended me. And then obviously Brendan said, "Oh, I know Chris. That's." I've worked with them before, so they didn't think of me first. Well, you created goodwill that a potential, um, you know, someone who is seeking out the same work is actually recommending you. That speaks pretty highly of you. That even, you know, people competing for the same jobs are recommending you. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, that was really good, and it worked out, it worked out really well. And then because, because we then we knew each other. Uh, like I didn't at that point, I didn't know Joe, the other producer, very well, but I knew Brendan and Darren really well. So 
we we then sort of just we we collaborated on the idea and went back and forth on it a few times on an, an outline. There were a few things that were fixed that they had they wanted to do, but other than that, well, it's fairly. Well, I'm anxious to hear some you know nuts and bolts stories of the making of. But before we get to that, uh, just wanted to take a little time to talk about a project you did leading up to this called Paz versus Stuff. I hope I pronounced that yeah. right. And yeah, it was billed as an interactive transmedia series and a few years ago transmedia was all the buzzword especially on youtube and i'm just wondering um what motivated you to do that and and you know what finally did you get out of doing that um it was it was one of those things i think i think it was between projects writing for and i wanted to do something and i had this idea i i was sort of fascinated by youtube culture there was a i think mean, it was kind of it was at the tail end of it really but it was at, the, at that point where suddenly these people uh these two kids really were, get, were getting massively famous just from making videos in their bedroom with them talking about stuff um and I think you were inspired by one of those was it the ghost girl one um are were you aware of that wasn't that i don't know if i know of... that one I, I, the ones, um, I know, uh, there was Marble Hornets, the, the Slenderman one. That was a big, oh, yes, that was a big sort of inspiration for it. I think that was, uh, that was really good. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Lonely Girl 15 is the, is the, that's the one, the, Lonely that's, Girl that, 15. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's called the Ghost Girl. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I'm not that demographic. I'm way too old to, well, I've, I mean, so I know that as well, really. But like, I remember, I think it was when my daughter was born, and I had mm -hmm. quite a lot of there was a lot of time in the evenings, sort of up with her, like where I could just, and I, I watched the whole of Marble Hornets and the whole of the first season of Lonely Girl 15. Um, I mean, I'm curious because I finally watched Marble Hornets. I resisted for a long time. I didn't even know about it for a while. Right. And I kind of just allowed myself to immerse myself in and just go with the universe they created, not to judge it technically. But yeah. when you talk about interactive and transmedia, this show embraced that where they would do what was it on Twitter? Some Twitter announcements simultaneously. Yeah. Like that would kind of fill in the blanks of the story. You'd have to go to another site and kind of decipher things. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. And they, they, had, they had forums and things. And and, and yeah, and Lonely Girl 15 had that the, the, the audience would kind of spot clues in the background and, and, and things. So that was um, that. I think that's that's what I, I wanted to do something like, like that. Uh, and my other thought was I just. I think I'd, I'd I'd made a couple of short films before that, which were really ambitious, and had taken uh, a really long time. They'd taken, I think, I made three short films, and they they all took. I mean, the the two longer ones both took a year and a half each to do, like from the sort of development, all the, throughout the post production and all of that, and and then it was really hard to get anyone to watch them. Um. Because they were quite long as well, they were sort of half an hour, and I, I couldn't believe that people would sit and watch just a random teenager on YouTube talk for an hour about what whatever. <laughs> and then, but I couldn't get someone to watch this sort of these short films that I'd sort of spent ages on. So, um, but that's so that one thing Hollywood cannot duplicate. I think when Hollywood 
you know, did um, a Marble Hornets movie, you know, which is a Slender Man yeah. movie, it changed everything. And I think for their demographic, the young people who are into these series, they know the authenticity of the original because they weren't trying to be anything else. Yeah. Now when people see, oh, Marble Hornets is a thing and they try to make their quirky, you know, YouTube kind of semi-metaphysical, you know, what's happening to my reality kind of thing. Suddenly, yeah. it doesn't have the same ch kind of organic charm as a Marble Hornets. I mean, did you find that you were maybe swaying paths versus stuff to include elements just because they were in marble hornets or you know lonely girl uh no well no i think i think i think in a way i uh, it was it happened a bit too late I, I was a really interesting thing to work on because so what it was was it was a youtuber and the, the plot was that the, the, there was a youtuber and she starts to be um she gets starts to get trolled in the comment on in the comments on her video. She starts to get these mean comments, and then it's, it escalates until to the point that she's being trolled in real life. That this person is turning up outside her house and, and things, and and that was that was the sort of basic the simple concept was you know what what if this you know an internet troll in real life sort of comes after you? How do you? A very you timely know? story. When you were writing this and making it, who did you envision as your audience? Well, it was the, it was the sort of the YouTube audience, I suppose. It was, it was Not, the kind was of it the, sixteen the, year olds, yeah, was like people the, the your age. Of, was yeah. it seniors? I, Were they boys, girls, men, women? I mean, I who was, was your it audience? It was aimed at the kind of. I wanted to get the kind of sixteen to to sort of 25 year olds, I suppose. I mean, the 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 main. And when you did this, you were in your thirties, right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm older than you, so I can say this is: once you're out of that age range, you do get a little out of touch. It's hard to understand oh, what yeah, no, teenagers yeah, no, like. It's hard to know, and and sometimes it's the fact that it's made by people they relate to. That's what they're clinging to. It's that identification. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I thought. I thought wrongly that the one of the hooks would be i thought it'd be quite interesting because the actor so the, the the character was supposed to be 25 and the um uh the actor playing it was was around that age. like a real 25 or a paintball massacre 25 no no this, this is a real 25 <laughs> so like so like a, a a high school reunion person who's 40 playing a 28 year old or a but for this, even for this demographic on YouTube, to a lot of people who love these transmedia Marble Hornets, yeah. to them, 25 might seem old, like, oh, that's adult old, you know, we're 16. There's a huge jump from teenage to 25. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know. And I think this was the, this, this is the thing and i think it, it's i i also think i kind of became more as it developed i became more interested in maintaining the reality of it than i was in telling a story <laughs> well, i bet you also probably wanted the technical quality to at least be minimally good whereas with marble hornets half the fun was the very primitive vhs quality of it yeah, I mean, a part of the the thing is partly as well. I wanted to be able to do something that was 
um, that were that was achievable with one person. Uh, so I filmed it in in my shed, sort of just outside my house, and I turned that into into this character's bedroom. And did you let them I, leave in between shootings? Did you? Well, like, had to, did you had like to, lock the door and just keep them there to, until the next enough, shooting? To, which well, which would probably to, be actually be a good plot for a movie. Yeah. Well, when we first, when we did the first shoot, I had this ridiculous idea because um, I think I think when you when you're sort of a film fan and you kind of you know read books about films and listen to directors' commentaries, you have this idea of what what a director should do and things like that. And I had this idea that like that that the actor should she should be in the room on her own when she's doing it so to, to sort of mimic this idea of, of what it's like being a youtuber like that I, I was really fascinated by that isolation about just 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 you and the camera so we tried it like that with me just standing outside and, and listening to the sound but it was just it was just taking forever because then i'd have to go in and give notes and then come back out again and and then it was like well you're an actor you're obviously very good you don't need to, you don't need to this whole thing just recreated um perfect because most so. actors can well, they can being act. alone while a director and a full crew are in the room yeah exactly it was uh, it's one of those it was one of those moments where i thought i was being really clever and actually i was just sort of putting more obstacles in the, in the way now but, it's because uh, directors have a healthy fear of actors well well yes i mean it's it's it, um it's like this sort of magic thing that you can't do. So <laughs> that's, that's certainly you a, sure are putting a lot of trust in them to get it exactly how you want it. Yeah, and I think um, I think I, don't, I think in a way there's it's a few things. I mean, when I started out, the idea was to have it completely improvised, and uh, and then that I tried that with a diff, with a different actor, and it just didn't work. Um, and but so you as a writer, you, I, I just can't imagine letting someone improvise. I mean, isn't the writer's side of you just want this to be a tight, you know, a tight script that sounds spontaneous? I mean, were you happy with that, letting your actors improvise? I think that's the thing. I think that's the, what's difficult to do is is write something. I mean, because I think film writing, like conventional film writing and genre film writing in particular, is very it's not obviously not naturalistic at all and it's quite i think what's difficult about about film writing is is making something sound like this is how the people these this is how these characters talk when they're saying things you know they're trying to deliver the plot and also convey some meaning and and do all the you know the, the, the you have very little dialogue with which you have to accomplish all these different things and keep keep all these parts moving um and so I think that's whereas with this where it was it was supposed to be this essentially a monologue. Um so you was, want the actor to both write it on the spot to direct themselves. Yes, basically. Turn the camera on is, and off. I think this do you, is do why you make that, do you make them bring their own food too and no, no, bring their own lighting grid? I think, I think when the, with the first actor it didn't because because she basically <laughs> the first actor I was doing she basically said that to me and I realized yes. So basically, Chris, I mean <laughs> What did you actually contribute to this project then? Well, in the end, I did. I did write out the whole thing, um, but I think I think the best episodes were the ones. There were a couple where she invites her brother in, and then we had and it, so I had another actor come in. And when it was two of them, and actually all the ones where there was more than one person, because 
and they and I, it was a bit looser and they would just kind of go off that they, they were the best they were always the better episodes um, did this also teach you that you much prefer screenwriting to directing uh the thing i don't know i think the tricky thing is i think it's hard to say whether i'm not sure i can say whether i've ever fully directed something because when when you're working with no with no money you're quite often um you're doing so many other jobs usually that you're doing you're doing a producer's job job quite often you're sort of worrying about all these you're worrying about getting people's lunches like like even on the, the short films i did uh uh did have a bigger crew and my wife produced those and we did have more people but even so it wasn't like a, a full sort of production so you you're still kind of doing all these other little jobs that other people do and so getting to actually focus on the directing like i think that my experiences of directing have always been these incredibly stressful like balancing act, like juggling acts i suppose more you're trying to keep everything up in the air you're trying to do all this stuff and make sure that you get finished and i suppose maybe that is maybe that's maybe that is directing but i'm it, happy it's... you came to that realization because so many writers think they have to direct their work and they're two such specific skills some can do it but a lot can't and that's okay i think a lot of times writers don't need to unnecessarily force themselves to direct yeah yeah, no, I think that's that is that is true, and I mean, I I I assisted. I was an assistant director on a play a couple of years ago, and I think that was probably and I and I did. I mean, I mostly just shadowed the director, but uh, that was probably the closest I've come to actually directing actors properly <laughs> but, uh, in terms of getting more involved. But yeah, well, one nice thing too is. If you let someone else direct, that frees up your time so you can go back and start work on your next screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, um, yeah, I, th I think where it gets gets tricky is I think a lot of writers, like, I think the reason a lot of writers end up directing or think they have to sort of go down direct their own stuff is because d d the, the directors usually have their own stories they want to tell like this is what i mean genuinely what i found is that in film writers don't tend to originate the stories it tend they tend to come either from a producer who's had an idea or bought something from somewhere or it's the director who's got this idea and then you you kind of come in i mean everything i've worked on in film, which is kind of like how hitchcock worked you know yeah either had an idea or bought the book rights to something, then hired a writer to turn that into a script. And which is a lot of good movies have been made that way. That's very old Hollywood. Is that I kind of, do you, do you feel like you're part of that old Hollywood style? Well, I think, like I said, I think, I think filmmaking collaboration, I think that's how it really, how it works best. But, but I think because we have this, you know, people, get into this because that you know writers will write their spec scripts and they go well this is a story i must tell and but then the only way to really it's i think it's it's rarer that a spec script will get picked up and produced i know it does happen but it's it's it's, it's quite rare so i think mm -hmm. that's where people go down the route of, of trying to direct their own things well but... well let's then apply this to paintball massacre which i love that title by the way oh cool <laughs> So here's what I'm thinking. They've got the concept they bring to you. They want you to flesh it out, make it a movie. 
here's something that someone told me a while back and I really taken it to heart. Mm. You know, they say they go to horror movies cause they want to see the kills. They want to see the creative Friday, the 13th and, you know, slasher movie kills. And I think we've gotten to a point where people think they're so sophisticated and they want to subvert the horror film or, you know, put all these arty pretensions into it. And I think what they sometimes forget is, you know what? You're doing this genre and this genre has expectations. And I think it's okay to just give that to the fans. And when I think I'm going to, oh, out in the woods, paintball, paintball massacre, I expect some really clever deaths in this. So I'm wondering, was that at the forefront when you were writing this thinking, okay, you know, every three pages or whatever, I need a spectacular kill. Well, yeah, we had, that was one of the things we talked about fairly early on was they had the, uh, the producers and the director had this idea of, they had a few of the kills already worked out. And, uh, and the thing is, it was, it was, it was always going to be 10 characters. So there were going to be 10 deaths at least. <laughs> Uh, plus the sort of massacre that that, that happens of the was this a play there. on the Agatha Christie Ten Little Indians? It was. I mean, that's that 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 was sort of exactly it. That's what that's what I ended up going to. So, so what I mean the, the way the way what you were saying about slasher films, I think is true. But I'm also not one of those people. Like I, I find. I recently watched, I mean, not really recently, but the, the last the last couple of years, I went through and I watched all the Friday the 13th films, mm -hmm. not quite back to back because I got bored, but sort of <laughs> over a period of about a month. Mm -hmm. And yeah, was number five your favorite? No, but the, the, the weird thing about Friday the 13th is three is still my favorite because it was the first one I saw. Three is great. That's when the hockey mask comes in. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and it, I saw it. When it was, I can't remember how old it was. I was way too young to be watching it. I saw it around a, a friend's house. Um, and I remember being... Don't you always love going to, to the friend who doesn't have any adult supervision? Well, exactly. That was exactly... We're going to watch whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we'd watched... I think we'd watched the end of part eight before. Uh, and was, then, that, was that Jason Takes Manhattan? Yeah, that's, that's that one. And so we'd watched the end of that, which I didn't find too scary. And then, and then my friend was like, "Well, I've got. Let's watch the whole of three because he'd got. Th he used to, yeah. It was, um, it was, it was, it was that. It was those, you know, this was in the eighties, so was, you know, video rental was. You just get what was available. So he, we, he went and got the, the third one, and then, um, I, I mean, the third that, was really, scary. That, I mean, that it gave, it gave me nightmares. I mean, I mean that that was probably the, one of the few horror films that gave me nightmares. I, I I remember distinctly waking up thinking Jason was coming through the through the window. And that was, was the one with his little shack deep in the woods. Yeah, yeah, and the, the shack and the, was scary. The bit that terrified me was, was the ending, where you just they think you think he's dead, and there's the shot where from quite far away and it's when the, the 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 i can't remember who the last survivor is but when she's she's in the boat and she looks across at the barn it's because the just before the mother comes out the water and she looks across at the barn and you see jason and i think he's got he's taking his mask off or something like that and he's, he's got this and he's just like sort of waving his arms around and there was something about that shot it was so weird and like it really disturbed me this sort of he really like at that in that moment he really seemed crazy he really seemed like what is this who is this person um and i think so, what, so what's uh, going to be 
the weird moment in paintball massacre people talk about um well there's i suppose yeah it's, there's a there's there's a there's a buried alive well, i'm probably giving too much away but there is the, there is there's someone getting there's, there's a buried alive moment that's quite i think that's quite good um, that's scary being buried alive especially you know those movies where people wake up and they're buried in a coffin yeah 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 it's that like, would be horrible wouldn't it yeah i mean that's that kind of that's, that's that kind of thing so there's i think that's probably i mean that's probably the 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 uh the most intense moment but i don't so, know so do you also like have um like a hierarchy like you know the the most obnoxious people get killed first and the more the more well, virginal is, people you know stay till the end this is where i was going with it really is that that what I found frustrating about the Friday the Thirteenth films, watching them back to back, is that that I think there was this idea. Well, there is this idea with slasher films that that it's about the kills, and then I think that what started to happen is that it sort of became about the characters being obnoxious because I think there was this idea that the pleasure then became watching these awful characters get killed <laughs> but if you step away from it and try and watch that as a normal film <laughs> it just makes it's it's unbearable because and there's no there's no kind of they're, they're sort of weird because they're they're really told from jason's point of view like jason's there at crystal lake or his mum from the first one but you know camp crystal lake's there you get a lot of shots from jason or his mum's perspective mm-hmm. you, you sort of have that but it's the it's the it's the camp counselors, it's the teenagers coming into Crystal Lake that kind of causes the disruption that then propels the story forward. So the thing is happening to Jason, really. Like I know which is weird because I know he's killing people. But like the way those stories are written, like the actual the main characters, the kids, the, I mean they they don't have story arcs particularly. I know later on when you get to sort of four and five, they start to sort of get a bit more interesting. But for the most part, they are just there to die, which means that most of the scenes are just sort of them messing about, like just doing stuff. Um, well, what I like about your concept for Paintball Massacre is that it puts them in an isolated area, which you need. You know, mm. and that's a great excuse for, you know, paintball out in the woods. And also the whole idea that, you know, people are being painted with, you know, these splats of red paint. That's easy to mistake for blood, so you can have that suspense of, was that the paint or is that real blood coming out of them? Yes, yeah, and we definitely, we definitely have that. <laughs> we sort of, yeah, we do use that a couple of times. But, but yeah, I think for, it was really, I really wanted to make sure that the that the characters were interesting, but also that they, and and going back to the Agatha Christie thing, I, I wanted to look to find a way to tell a story with these characters. And I know it's not other slasher films have gone down this route, this kind of mystery route, but I wanted to be able to sort of give them something to do. So it's not just. Well, well I'm hoping there's a revenge angle, you know, the classic, you know, these high school students wronged a student. Now, these years later, they're going to get revenge on the people who collectively wronged them or shamed them or humiliated them. You know, does it have any elements of that? It definitely, it definitely has elements of that. There, are, It turns into, again, I won't give too much away, but there are a few, it turns into there being several theories that different characters are pursuing as to, as to, as to who's sort of going after them. So that's, that, that's the kind of way it progresses. And does it have an iconic killer? Is there going to be some sort of, face mask or some look to the killer that could be iconic yeah i mean he's got yeah he's got a sort of 
uh, scary looking paintball mask and the way the the actor who played him did does do that kind of cane hodder type physicality he mm-hmm. walks in a very particular way he's sort of, oh no well, uh, i hope i hope they don't have this hulking guy and then the killer turns out to be this petite woman Oh well, that that'd be giving too much away. But uh, okay. no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you ever notice that though? They've got some stunt person playing a killer. Then at the reveal at the end, it's this you know character that weighs a hundred pounds less, and they're yeah. And they always they always run into that problem with the the where you you're kind of um, yeah the the the, the killer sort of able to do all this stuff in the in the builder in the for most of the film and do all these incredibly yeah these feats of strength and things and yeah at the end they're sort of taken out they can get you know to from one house to like a mile away in three seconds yeah well that's that's the thing but yeah i think uh, i think the effectiveness of a sasha film really depends on whether you care about the characters or not and i i know people would would like fans of the genre would probably object to this and 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 think this wasn't the case but i really do think that if you if you care about the person who's being chased through the woods then that's way more effective than than seeing someone and going oh he's going to get killed soon like that's that, sure, that, yeah. sure. So that's, well, it sounds like in this story you take more time establishing it like even before they go out for this reunion out to the woods, you know, that you said they're at the pub or whatever. So you, it yeah. sounds like you do take some time for character development before the murder starts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the best, the, the best slasher films do. And I think, I think that's, um, uh, yeah, but there is the, yeah, but there's a, there's a good chunk. And then there's the, you know, they, they, they get through a few paintball games before anything happens. So you get to know them really well before, well, so for people who are a slasher movie fan and just love this genre, what are the other movies that you would say, oh, if you like these movies, this is similar, you'll like this. Like, Would this be like, um, remember that one, April Fool's Day? And I think they yes. remade it. Didn't that have kind of a 10 little Indian? Um, yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I could never get over the the extent of the prank in that one (laughs) right that had a very uh, twisty ending didn't it (laughs) yeah yeah and you think you think no that's too much for them to do all that but um no that's i think one one of the ones i really like a more recent one is uh, there's a film it's a uh, scandinavian one i forget which country it's from but it's it's called cold prey um Mm -hmm. and it's it's a a group of friends go up on a on, on a skiing holiday and it's not particularly remarkable like i mean i can't even i couldn't even really tell you how anyone dies in it but what was good about it was again the the characters were just really really well written and well acted and you get cared about them so and i i think it was relation to me watching it because i was like this is there's nothing particularly remarkable about the killer about any of this stuff but it's just a really solid film it's a really well-made well-performed film that works because you care about all these people and you care what's happening to them. Um, and yeah, I think that was, that was, that was a big influence. I definitely, um, that, that's always one, one that I'd recommend. Um, Do you remember um, student bodies? I think that was in the eighties. I don't think I've seen that one. I think that was one where the, this was a little different. I think it was one where the high school 
these malicious kids, maybe either, I don't know if they caused the death of a student or some horrible accident. Right. And then years later, he comes back and hunts them down one by one. And I, and again, it's like that whole idea of, okay, how do you bring all these people back together? And it seems like the reunion, you know, is the plot device to make that happen in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the thing. It is, it is quite a good, uh, um, yeah, a good excuse to bring all these people back. And it's a good excuse for sort of, uh, it, 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 there's a kind of automatic tension there then as well with the with the union because you've got that gap. Now this is coming out December fifteenth. Yes, yeah, yeah. So what's the strategy? Is it gonna, you know, stream like on Amazon or and has yeah, COVID affected the release of it at all? It's hard to say, really. I mean, I don't know. Uh, there's been a, I mean, I know, I know what's it, it's coming out. It's it's because it's available to pre-order on Amazon now on DVD, and it will be it will be available to stream as well on the fifteenth. Um, oh, good. But I don't know uh, in terms of whether it's been affected by COVID. I think I think maybe it's taken. We were I think we were booked into a festival that didn't take place in the end, so that maybe. But because um, it's been quite. You were going to go online. You weren't going to go for a theatrical distribution. No, no. I mean, it's it's still a it's, it's still a it's, it's a fairly small film, but um, uh, in terms of the budget, so yeah. So it was always going it was always going to be um, streaming. But I think it was quite. Um, I know Joe, who the producer, who's really kind of pushed the the distribution angle. He really wanted it to at least be on dvd even though i mean you could argue that that's that's not not mm-hmm. that necessary anymore but i think i in some ways it's quite i don't know it's quite nice i think every time like i mean that is one of the cool things i've had that a few times i've been able to go into a shop and to pick up a, a dvd that mm-hmm. the film that i've made and every time i do that i've thought this is probably the last time i'll be able to do this <laughs> so um uh yeah it is nice to have the physical product in your hand especially with your name in the credits yeah, yeah, I think it really is. I mean, there's a thing I'm quite, quite. I, I I struggle to let go of 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 the sort of physical mm-hmm. products, <laughs> physical media. Right. Well, um, well, I don't want to jinx it, but do you think this has potential to have a sequel and be a series? Could this killer, you know, sustain another movie? I think it. I think at this stage, it really depends on how well it does. Uh, I had. I had like a very early on we talked about a trilogy and I had ideas for how that would plan out so how how it would go how that would progress but I don't know if um that yeah it's too early to say really whether that will that'll go ahead or not but it's that there's definitely potential um mm-hmm. for it to Well has this given you a lot of confidence to maybe create your own iconic you know slasher villain um i don't i don't know it's i i definitely would like to do more horror more more um horror films i think uh i've always been more interested in kind of supernatural horror i suppose so i think that's kind of if i was going to do if i had free reign to do whatever i wanted to do next i think that would well hey with friday the 13th that started out pretty slasher and morphed into some near supernatural kind of uh jason yeah, yeah, and I think that's where it, that's where it kind of got got more interesting. I think that's why I, I mean, sort of the, the always... fact he could be resurrected with a big lightning rod. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think there's the one with the is it six that's got the psychic 
go. Oh my goodness! Wasn't that just over the top? Yeah, there's that one, and then oh, and then there's the Jason goes to hell where he's jumping into people's bodies and things. That's all right. And I like that actually. I remember when that came out, a lot of people didn't, but I actually thought that was a good comeback for the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's, no, I think I think it still holds up that film. That's one of the more interesting ones. Yeah, the only one I can't really watch is Jason in space. What was that? Ten. Yes, yeah. See, I, I quite like that one. It does. I mean, that one just. I actually I watched the, when I watched that one recently. That one doesn't hold up as well. But I remember when I saw when it came out, that being quite. I mean, in terms of horror comedies, I think that's quite. It is quite funny. But um, you know, I think it is because it that was a very adult Jason. Because all the people in yeah. the spaceship were adults, and I think the whole spirit of the original with campers and camp counselor. Yeah, it just changes the whole tone of it yeah 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 it does and it's 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 a very strange film but um, <laughs> yeah it is a very strange film it's kind of like you think is this even in the same universe as the same movie the other movies mm. i mean i sort of miss that that i do kind of i mean i suppose jason jason x is weird. that was a bit later but i miss that era of like I guess the sort of nineties era where th- where just these films were just being churned out. Like the I recently watched all the oh no, I haven't even finished it. I was watching the Leprechaun films. Oh yeah. And they're such weird I and mean, they're not good. <laughs> well, well he didn't he go out into films. space in one? Yeah, that's the one I'm up to now on the on the space one. But they're it's they're so weird because they're not they're not scary. Uh, they're sort of they're comedy, very, but they're, they're not really funny. spirited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think. Yeah, and I don't think they're okay. But uh... I think at least with the slashers, when they're silent and have a mask, yeah, you know, you just think, okay, they're this faceless killer. But with Leprechaun, he's just sadistic, and the way he torments the people before he kills them. Yeah, yeah. They, yes, they're, 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 not, they're, just they're not. He's just like this mean old guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're very, they're very odd. But I, it's, I, yeah. I, we sort of, I, yeah. I miss that those days of just there being just all these slasher films that would all. But, but isn't that yeah. funny? The horror films that go into space: Jason, Leprechaun, even Hell, Hellraiser. You know, they even end up on a spaceship yeah. there. So what? What is it about? It, that's totally jumping the shark. Whenever a horror series goes into space, I always think. I mean, I think what's interesting about the Hellraiser one is they did they tried to do it seriously. I mean, that's probably the only one that that that, right. that tried. That to do was the space. one with the original toy maker. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. showed it through these time periods. I liked that one actually. I was surprised yeah, when people dissed it. I thought it was yeah. one of the classier ones. Yeah, I think it's good. I think what happened. I remember <laughs> going back to Doug. I remember him telling me that the the the, the original script was much more ambitious. And mm-hmm. then they they their budget got cut in half, um, so they it, it became this kind of really cut down version. I mean, they managed to did still do all the space stuff, but I think it was a much more edited down version of what they wanted to do. Um, right. But, it is... but again, so many of those came down to once they established the Cenobites. Who are the new Cenobites, and what is their weird special effect going to be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the, it's a, the, the like the puppet master films. It's it's just sort of let's yeah, let's introduce a new thing every film. But um, but that's okay. Yeah. You can still write good stuff into these scripts. Like yeah. one of my favorites, which 
just goes off the rails is the Wishmaster series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they're that. good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I forget the sequels. Kind of, are there they, three they of those? Lower, lower budget. You know, yeah. the first sequel was you know more on par with the first movie. Mm. But what I like about that is, you know, he they give him a very iconic look, and it's kind of like he became almost like a Freddy Krueger, and you know, he's yeah. gonna do these snappy one-liners and kill people, but sometimes you just want to know what you're getting out of a genre film. And I think the people who say, oh, I want to use this horror film as a vehicle for me to make my, you know, Ingmar Bergman art film. It's like, no, you know, if you want to make an art film, make an art film. But if you want to make a genre horror film, you know, give the fans what they want. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, obviously, because, you know, you want to express yourself as a creator, but I think it's okay to say, I don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah. It's okay to make what people like. But I, I, I think, I guess what, where, where I mean, I don't, what, what I enjoy, and maybe this, this might not be what audiences enjoy, and this might be uh, a really good thing. I do like uh, subverting genre. I think, I think what, what I like about genre films is they give you these this set of rules and these set of things that must happen for it to fit into this genre. And to me, that's that's an invitation to play with the rules and to do the opposite. Um, well, where, sure. Where yeah, I think everyone does that. I mean, when Hellraiser came out, mm. that was this breath of fresh air, even though it seems like Clive Barker, you know, loved the old Hammer horror films and the horror films of the 70s. Mm. The Hellraiser at the time, you know, we had never really seen anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do like one of the things I like about Hellraiser is that it's a, this. Um, I like that it's a film about grown-ups. That it's a film about adults in this, this, mm-hmm. and this very kind of, um, you know, it's a film about sex and about consent and about power and it's it's this very the themes of the film are quite adult and i think well, a movie about this grown woman going to any lengths to bring her lover back yeah 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 exactly and it's, it's the you difference between becoming a serial killer i mean yeah the woman who you would never think would be a murderer yeah so you just yeah. have to wonder you know was the sex with this guy so good well, that's. I think that's what's interesting about it because there, 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 there's that, and then there are all these, these comparisons in the film between, between Frank and between Larry, her husband, like the, the, the way that relationship works, and what what Frank's doing that Larry isn't. Like it's it's, it's really interesting. But you just don't. I mean, even now, I think you don't really get that. I think this is what I've been mean, thinking. This is what Clive Walker does. Is he was coming at it from, from, from a I guess a more, I guess just a more grown up level. I mean, it's not necessarily better or, or more intellectual, but I think he's just coming at it with the, to, trying to explore these themes that are usually explored in art films and not necessarily in horror films. I think that's the. Well, if you're thinking of his themes, you know, it's like the theme of the box. You know, it's almost like you know, don't dabble in these forbidden things. You know, it's very Garden yeah. of Eden, the forbidden fruit, the box, you know. It might give you good, but it'll also introduce you to evil. And then with Julia, 
you know, the forbidden fruit of her husband's brother. You know, it's like the, all these people seeking out what's forbidden to them and then getting the consequences. Yeah, yeah. And this, this, uh, the idea of the, of uh, pleasure and pain being so closely, being almost the same thing and, and horrific things also being beautiful and all these, these kind of, these kind of contrasts and things. I think it's, it's, um, although if it was, you know, he was, you know, trying to be biblical, I think there was uh, more than a few times people in the Bible were sleeping with their spouses, siblings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I think there's probably all that. I mean, this is, I think what, like, I think you could have the original, the first Hellraiser. I mean, I think it's one of the. I think the reason it stands up so well is you can. There's so much depth to it. There's so much in there that you can talk about. Um, that mm-hmm. I think with the sequels. I mean, I think the sequels are really great. Like, like the second one has got is really great visually it's got all this great imagination to it and that that does have some cool fairy tale stuff in it actually there, there is some cool stuff in there but it's they become le- less and less interesting as they go on and i think, it's probably I, I true think of what makes the first one works so much is the character of julia and the actress who plays her yeah 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 and that, that was the most female centric and then when it you know moved on it just didn't have this, you know, from like her point of view, even though I think number three had the woman who ended up being Pinhead's daughter or something. Spoiler alert. Well, I can't totally remember, but I think you're talking about, you know, this adult woman in the first one. Yeah. You know, becoming you know, this so passionate and then just her, the more she kills, the more evil and it gets easier and she becomes more ruthless and seeing her transform into that ruthless character was pretty horrifying. That on its own, even without the Cenobites. Yeah. You know, it's very Dexter, you know, just, you know, a portrait of this serial killer in the making. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, it's a really fascinating film still. And it's, and, and it's, it's still an area that, pe- that people don't, don't really explore that often in, in in genre films i think i mean i think i think it's the, it's the it's the contrast of that that this sort of very kind of uh, almost quite quite sort of slow paced studied sort of character study mm-hmm. with a film that also has these sort of you know these prosthetics and these really bizarre creature designs um well, I mean, it's very... bizarre creature um I, I just want to get your thoughts since we're on it is in the first hellraiser and kirsty's in the hospital and the mm. wall opens up and she's chased down that stone corridor by that giant worm or whatever yeah it's almost like that movie was so good and then the whole spell was broken in that one scene with that ridiculous looking creature which it was yeah. cool on its own you know on its own merits but within the movie they had set up that monster belonged in a different movie where it would have looked great. It yeah. just silly at that point. I think I've even heard they kind of that got tacked on or some, maybe the producers wanted, you know, more monsters at the end for the audience, but it just seemed so out of place when they had created yeah. such a wonderful mood up until that point. Yeah. And I think, I think especially now it's on, on Blu-ray that you can see the sort of the apparatus behind it like the wheels and yeah i mean it's fun on its own you know but yeah. it just in a different movie it just didn't match what they had really set up with the cenobites no. were pretty terrifying and i think it's a shame because in the story in the in the hellbound heart the, the story that that creature is i think it's 
described as like a, a woman in a wedding dress, but with like a, I mean, it's, it's ages since I've read it, so I've got to know if I'm remembering this correctly, but it's like a, 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 a female figure in a wedding dress, but instead of a head, I'm sure there's like just this glowing orb of light. Like it's just something that's so completely removed from what, what was in the, what was in the film. Mm-hmm. I remember that because there's another bit in the, in the book where I think, because I think the lead Cenobite in the book is the, is the female Cenobite. Um, and she, I think when she first comes in, she's sitting on this throne of tongs, like just human tongs. <laughs> she's sort of fashioned into a throne and oh, it's, it's things like that. There's just, sort of, I understand, like, I understand why they didn't, why that, that was difficult to do in a film, but you think, oh, it's a shame that we didn't get that version. Right. Which is probably why a lot of Barker's other writing is not as easy to translate on screen either, especially, you know, when he, after that went so far into fantasy and, Almost like, you know, Lovecraft, how do, how would you film half of Clive Barker's work? Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's a problem. I also think a lot of them don't have that kind of, they, they're they quite sort of sprawling stories. They, 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 I mean, as outside sort of books of blood, I think they don't really have kind of one sentence hooks, a lot of them. They're quite uh, complicated. Mood pieces almost. Yeah, yeah, they, they, um, yeah, I don't, I, it, it's, they, they're quite hard to pin down, I think, and I think that's, that's, um, that's difficult. Um, yeah, he always has multiple ideas when, you know, they're each so strong on their own. Sometimes you don't need to have an epic story or, you know, juggling all these different elements, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think it's where, I think, you know, I think it's always difficult when people try and adapt. The, you know long longer books into films because you have to i think you know i think film is better suited to the sort of the the, the smaller simpler concept i mean that's why hellraiser works so well because it's it's this one house and this thing that happens over a short space of time and i think that that works better than the kind of the more epic well he's kind of in a way by making hellraiser and all that inspired that in its way has watered down his work because when Hellraiser came out, the sight of these demons in black leather and kind of fetishy was still mm. kind of shocking at the time. And now it looks very, you know, hot topic, you know, like the fetish store at the mall or the punk rock, you know, heavy metal. Yeah. It just looks like something you put on. It's just a dress up. It doesn't have that danger to it anymore. No, no, and um, I don't. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. It, yeah, it's it's hard to know what the what the equivalent of that would be now. But yeah. well, how can we shock people, especially when we all have access to so much media online, and and we start watching it at a younger age? Mm. Can we even rely on shock value anymore? I, d- I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm trying to if think of the last... massacre. Will anything truly shock us? Will we see something that we've never seen before in a slasher movie? I think there were a couple of moments, but I don't think I think there were some, some quite striking visual moments. But whether and there are things, there are definitely the characters do some things that you won't have seen in another slasher film. Um, but yeah, I don't think it. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's, it's it's going to be 
shocking in that in the way that 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 how is a and I, I don't i can't think of the last time i saw a horror film a recent one that 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 really that i really found shocking um yeah i mean i i don't think since martyrs really um Mm-hmm. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> Martyrs, of course, the French original, not the yeah. No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen. Haven't seen the remake, but I think that was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a shock. It, it's funny when you think of what has shocked people. You know, maybe Human Centipede. I don't. I mean, Human Centipede. I mean, I I quite like those ones, but they they. I always thought they were comedies more than, right. like. I mean, they, I think like the second one is probably the, the one that goes the furthest, but it's it's so extreme that it's funny. I mean, they're like the, the second one to me plays like a cartoon. It's it's so sort of over the top, and I think I think the director knows that. I think I don't think it's sort of um, I, it's a, I think it, it's the, those films to me look like they they're made with him sort of winking at the audience as he's doing this stuff <laughs> right. um and he kind of wants i know he's it's, i think he kind of wants people to be shocked and and i think they've been you know they're quite interesting that the, the sort of cultural impact they've had mm-hmm. i mean it's referenced even now you, you get references to human centipede and all over the place but it's um yeah it did have a huge impact but um yeah i don't think they were sort of uh shocking in the in the same way i don't yeah don't know. I mean, I remember the, the, the when the when this when the sort of that first wave of Japanese. Well, it's not really the first wave, but the I guess the 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 two thousands wave of Japanese horror. Like films. The Ring, The Ring, and The Grudge. Yeah, Audition. I think was. was oh, Audition. Yeah, that uh, pushed the envelope. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, what That's was what's... um? It wasn't horror per se, but Old Boy. Yeah, 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 definitely. No, that's a, yeah, that's got that's got some uh some good moments in it um yeah well, it's funny how sometimes you know people have their moment or you know um eras of filmmaking have a moment but people realize but then something new comes i mean the 70s had its golden era with exorcist and halloween then mm. 80s slasher and people have to realize nothing stays constant you know so you kind of have to be open to new things and you know, you're 40 now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do you keep from getting into a rut? Because film is, you know, this young thing. You know, the market for these films is young people, and they know what's hot. They know what's fashionable now. How do you stay in touch with what you think that, you know, a teenager would like to watch? I don't think, I mean, I don't think you can uh i think when people try is when i mean like you were saying earlier about the the youtube thing i think i think that's when things go a bit bit wrong i think you just have to do what you want to do and and hope that people like it i don't I, i think any kind of attempt to kind of i mean i think that's what happened with the last um the the it's a different genre but the last the last star wars film i think was seemed like such a misguided attempt to get the what well, to sort of appear to, to please everyone and and didn't quite work and i think that i think that, that seems to happen a lot with the with bigger films and you think actually the films that work it's like when you get a series of films that starts with it's, it's normally the first film in the series that's the best 
one that they spent the most time on and um where everyone was really committed to it and i think once a film was successful and they start making sequels they kind of then do start to try and second guess what made that first one work and what what the audience are looking for and i think that's when it kind of gets a bit wrong but i don't i mean people will say that they do understand i mean i've I've had this 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 conversation with producers all the time about what they think will work um and i just don't think i mean you come back to the 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 william goldman thing of no one knows anything it it, it's it it's i'm constantly finding out that that is definitely true (laughs) no one knows anything but yeah if they offered you a lot of money for a sequel that would put paintball massacre in space would you do it i would definitely do that yeah (laughs) because i think it was funny but um yeah i mean i would yeah i would do that without hesitation like yeah (laughs) well we're gonna wrap up in a little bit not quite yet but before we do i want to make sure people know where to find you online and for info on paintball massacre uh well the best thing to do is well i'm i'm on twitter at uh, cg underscore regan uh paintball massacre is also if you just search paintball massacre on on twitter and instagram the 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 instagram page is probably the best actually it's quite active and that's got all the, the um that's regularly updated with the release news and the the new trailers and reviews and things are updated on there so um yeah that's the best place to look out for that yeah so your last name Regan is just like the little girl in The Exorcist. It is, yes. <laughs> so you're talking about watching, you know, all the Friday the. 13th. So when you want to go back and get re-energized in the genre, what are the other horror movies that you like to go back and look at? I mean, one of my, I suppose one of my favorites is, uh, I, I mean, I, I I love John Carpenter, but I think one of my favorites of his is um, The Prince of Darkness. Yes, I love that one. In fact, yeah, I was talking with someone about that the other day. What do you like about it? Well, I, I think what I like with Hellraiser, I like that it's this film about about these grown up people, <laughs> like they're all sort of right uh, in their At least sort of college thirties and forties. Yeah, yeah. Because it's I a mean, college teacher, and then of course he has college students who are supposed to be yeah, 20, but they're all kind 35. of. I think they're all in the third. They're all older than, than they're graduate students. Yeah, so. they're, they're yeah, they're sort of post grads. So yeah, it's and I I like that it's this and it's putting them in that situation where suddenly they're sort of dealing with this kind of demonic thing, um, and it's got this kind of two levels to it because on the one level they're sort of responding to it academically and they're trying to figure out what's going on um based on their sort of research and what they were studying and things but then and 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 on the sort of this sort of quantum physics level but there's also this very physical element where they're trying to escape this thing like the bit where i think it's dennis duns gets trapped in the closet but when they're trying to do the doing that thing i think the the ward the the devil water whatever it is that they found is going into that that woman's body and he's sort of trapped in the closet and they're trying to break him out through the wall and just that sort of it's that combination of this really these really simple physical problems and obstacles that they have to deal with yeah. next to these big academic kind of ideas and they and um yeah just really interesting again there's nothing else there's nothing else really like it um well one thing i like about that and you normally see it in a haunted house movie, but it's the whole subgenre like the haunting and then also um, the legend of Hell House. 
where it's yeah. a group of scientists that go into a supposedly haunted place and even bring in, you know, um, electronic equipment to, you know, gauge the yeah. ghost presence. And then, you know, of course, automatically, you know that, you know, the ghosts are going to come and kill them all, but they go in there kind of blindly thinking they'll be yeah. safe from that. And, but like meddling with it is what really gets them killed. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love the haunting as well. That like, and I love the, the 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 bit at the beginning of the haunting where and I forget, I can't remember the actor's name but the, the 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 head doctor guy where he's sort of explaining what's going on and he he says in the beginning of the film that if go you know if ghosts exist that they can't hurt you and the the, the but he basically says there's nothing to be scared about and yet still the film is terrifying <laughs> like it's it's right um, it's a really good sort of clever well one thing I like about that is the main woman thing played mm. by Julie Harris is someone who's kind of marginalized and at this turning point and kind of yeah. is looking for something to live for. And it's almost like taking advantage of that kind of person because yeah. any, you know, person with something going on in their life would like, hell no, I'm not going to this, you know, haunted place. You know, I've got I've got things in my life. There's almost this element of taking advantage of the people that they recruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um I think that I mean I, I'm sort of fascinated by that 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 kind of all the stuff around kind of ghosts and 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 not because I don't really not the actual ghosts themselves but I think that process and the people who kind of investigate that and yeah I think there is there is there's there's something about this there's, there's these massive egos involved and this these kind of yeah there is something fascinating about that and then yeah and there's I, well I think when you put that kind of character in that situation it starts out with this element of doubt of oh, am I witnessing supernatural things or am I just getting a little bit crazy myself because of all mm. these doubts and insecurities? So it's like they're experiencing the supernatural while trying to sort with a personal problem in their real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. I think that's that that that's what that's what makes it work. But um, yeah, I'm. I'm, but they also want to be part of this because to them it's important. Like, wow, mm. these people think I'm important enough to let me be part of this expedition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's yeah. No, that that, that that's what. And that's where you want to say, you know, do character development and bring depth to a horror movie. You know, well, so exactly. It's like you always put, you know, these people at a turning point in their life. It's like, oh, the family that just moved to the old farmhouse, yeah. you know, before they discover the ghost. But it's also like, oh, we're having trouble in our marriage. Let's make a clean start here. Yeah. Or like, you know, the premise of American Horror Story, the first season. Oh, the husband had an affair. Let's move yeah. to this new house in a new state away from all that other stuff and let's start new. But it's usually, oh, you know, guilty people bring their demons with them. Yeah, well, that's 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 the thing, and I think I think all the all the kind of good horror films always they, the characters have that conflict, and I mean definitely in in, in Paintball Massacre they all have that conflict. Every each of them have got. They deserve it. They all deserve to be killed. <laughs> Which brings me to the question: So, did did you hate your classmates in school? Did you like have this? Um, this little fantasy that they would all just you know the next time you saw them they would be. I don't know. They they would either really regret what they did or just something horrible had happened to them. I mean, no, I 
but it, but it's interesting though because because I didn't I mean I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy school high school I don't think but it's uh but I didn't I didn't feel like that writing this but when I we had a, a sort of cast and crew screening of the film uh a few weeks ago um because of because of, I mean I I worked quite closely with the with the producer and the editor so I'd, I'd seen it I'd seen it sort of fairly the finished version fairly recently but but then because of the lockdown and the virus and things we hadn't been able to get everyone together to watch it until fairly recently but that was the first time I'd seen it sort of properly finished and I came away thinking that was written by someone who hated their time at school (laughs) 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 no it's not how you how you how you said about how it's not about the kills and these people these awful people being killed but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in their relationships and in the dialogue about just how horrible they were to each other <laughs> about the mm-hmm. sort of, these sort of meaningless relationships you have and and how cruel kids can be to each other and and um yeah i sort of thought oh yeah no i think anyone watching that would think and they'd be right like <laughs> they, they, i did not have a great time in school but not in not in that kind of not in that kind of overt way but just um uh, well even though most of us wouldn't act on it or we wouldn't want it to be taken to its extreme isn't there some um cath- feeling when we see a bully get their comeuppance yeah i don't i think there is but i don't know i don't know um i don't i mean i i went to like i remember there was um <laughs> like I mean, I, there, there was a guy i went to school with who who was like one of the sort of the bullies who ended up in prison and i didn't it's not when you hear, oh, that guy's in prison, you go, oh, that's that that's made me feel better <laughs> about the world. Because actually, I think I think really you kind of hope that, that they'll sort themselves out and be better people, I suppose. And I think there's something, I think the real kind of of it is that actually they don't. I think some of those people just get worse and 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 not necessarily you know for, for for various sort of societal reasons and and i think partly because of how the school system treats them but it's uh yeah i think that the a lot of the bad kids in school i don't know that there's that i think i think it's depressing sometimes that, uh, that there's not actually that much hope for them um so in some ways i think we all you do they do get the comeuppance daily but it's uh, it's i don't think it is that satisfying really um, well, do you think some kids are just born evil? No, I mean I don't. I don't really. I don't really subscribe to that that idea of evil. I think. Um, I think. Can, can Jason be rehabilitated? I don't. I don't know about. Yeah, I think. What did you think in Rob Zombie's Halloween when he tried to give a backstory to? Well. Myers and make it he was a product of an abuse emotionally abusive father the thing is i think in in i think that that's it it's like you sort of watch that and go that's true but it's not necessarily i don't think it's as interesting when you see it as you like in, i think in, in a way you almost get exactly the same amount of backstory in the friday the 13th films like you get that jason was an abused child without all the extra stuff you don't really need to go into it in that much detail. But I did what I did really like was because I wasn't that keen on Rob Zombie's 
Halloween, but I did like the sequel. I thought his Halloween 2 was a really interesting film because it's sort of a film about uh, about people overcoming tragedy and about it becomes about because they I think he does this really interesting film in that film between um between laurie sort of getting over what happened to her but also with, with dr loomis with the malcolm mcdowell character in that one you really mm. see this guy who's kind of struggling with he sort of has this thing he's obsessed with his whole life he kind of thinks he's killed the thing and then he's famous for that but then he's not really resolved it and i don't know i think that's anyway that's a digression but i think that's a really mm-hmm. i think there is a it's a really interesting film but i don't really i mean i think that you know i remember i've had the conversation with people before i think like like halloween's a good example is like you know, there's this question of whether uh whether michael myers you know in the original one is is that a person or is that just pure evil but I think I think I like, that was, I like that he was pure evil. Yeah, so I I don't know that I do. I think the scariest bit, and I know this is probably going to lose people here again. But the the scariest bit for me in in Halloween is when she goes to that neighbor's house and they turn on. They're clearly in, and they don't open the door. And that to me is what that film. That, that to me was what that film's about. It's about this that this thing can happen that you know that you're not. That whole film is about the fact that you're not safe in suburbia. It's it it looks safe and it looks nice, but actually it's everyone for themselves. And if you're in trouble, <laughs> they're not gonna. No one's gonna come and help you. And I think um, kind of like our modern day quarantined society. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's I think that is true. I think that is true, true to a degree. And I think, I think that, nowadays, if some random person was pounding on your door for help, the average person would be less likely to help them now. I think so. I mean, I don't just to preserve their, themselves. Thinking, well, I I don't want you to die, but you know, I don't want to die either. So it's you or me. It depend. I think it depends. It would depend. It obviously depends on the circumstances. I think that the you. I think everyone would like to think that they would open the door and let that person in, but I can also see, you know, if it's the middle of the night and someone starts banging on your door, like it's yeah. What do you, what do you do? Because <laughs> I imagine but those that, people self preservation kicks in and. In theory, we all want to help each other and be altruistic, yeah. but late at night with that banging door, you're just your defense mechanisms kick in, and you just want to survive. Yeah, and and I think in in a way that is what is really scary about that because I think now I'm the person, I'm the neighbor inside the house in Halloween. Like that's and it's like yeah, I think what's scary is the reality of what we would actually do in that situation. And again, yeah, everyone hopes that they would go and open the door. friendly neighbor that waves to you every day and smiles mm. would offer you up to Michael Myers in a heartbeat. Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I always remember this moment or, uh, as, uh, as I worked in this office building in, in Brighton and I got stuck in the lift. The lift broke down one day and it was like a classic sort of scene from a movie where we were all kind of stuck in the, we were stuck in there for ages it, it we were supposed to go up and then we got into the list and pressed the button and it went down to the basement and they just got stuck there and so everyone's kind of very polite and 
and no one says anything for a while, just hoping sort out. And then it becomes clear, okay, this isn't going to get sorted out. We're going to be here for a while. So then you start chatting. Everyone's kind of, and we all, it's this huge office building, all different companies. And so we all worked for different people. No one knew each other. And then, you know, after about two hours, we're all kind of getting along. And everyone's like, oh, we're thinking, oh, should we go for a drink or something after this? Should we, let, let's go. And then the moment the lift doors open, everyone goes out and goes their separate ways and never speaks to each other again. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's like i think that's just typical of sort of how things actually work in real life <laughs> well, i was hoping you're gonna say you're stuck in there for like a week and then you started cannibalizing each no, other No, i mean it could have it could have got to that it could have got to that i think it probably would have done i mean i think that's the um yeah Did we that... already figuring out which one would go first was it was there like a, a pecking order that you figured out pretty quickly well this this is the, this is the thing is people do sort of jump into these kind of roles quite quickly there was one guy there who was clearly like he was the guy who was going to try and sort it out and he was trying to force the doors open and do all the the things and <laughs> just yeah. he was gonna macho his way out and just yeah. rip those doors open i mean i think that's that's the thing like i think i think genre films get things right to a point like you sort of get you when you win situations that kind of mirror things that happen in films you go oh, yeah people do act like that to a point but then actually it doesn't carry on. That's like runs. a zombie film when all these different people who don't know each other end up at the house and they're boarding it up and the, you know, they have to collectively help each other to yeah. uh, live. But they're usually people who would never have anything to do with each other unless it was that situation. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why the first Night of the Living Dead is just such a good right. film. And isn't that a fun thing to do in a movie is when you force people together who normally would not get along? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it is. Um, yeah. Speaking of, I don't know why. You, are you ever on a mission like you, you you like a film that not many people know and then you want to mm -hmm. share it and turn them on? There's right. this one. It came out. I don't know when it came out, but it's called The Suckling I think it was just re-released oh, okay. on TV. Extremely low budget. Right. And I, I won't belabor the plot because it's so far-fetched. But it's basically, it takes place in suburbia, but it's like at this brothel within a suburban house. And the woman who runs it also has like this illegal abortionist on staff. Right. So I guess since, you know, her, her girls get pregnant a lot, but also people in the community go there to get these illegal abortions. Right crazy so anyways one of the abortions the fetus goes down the toilet into the mm -hmm. sewers and then <laughs> somehow radioactively immediately turns into this big monster and right so everyone is like trapped in this house while the monster is trying to get in and kill them and so it's like you got the madam of the house the prostitutes who work there probably a drug dealer the uh, abortion doctor you know, all the clients of the prostitutes. So it's kind of fun in that these people are thrown mm. together and a lot of them don't like each other. And and it's half the fun is just seeing how they begrudgingly work together to fight against this monster. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I love stuff like that. I think that's uh, that sounds great. I'll have to check that out. I know. Suburban brothel slash illegal abortion clinic. These people are good. I mean, I yeah. would be proud to write something like that. I mean, sometimes what, as a writer, don't you have to just push it and go to a silly direction and then say, okay, I can reel it in. 
But sometimes the best ideas happen because you've gone so far out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. No, I do think that. I mean, I think that's why, because I've I've just started writing novels, and I think that's partly why is because I do have that instinct to kind of go further. But often when you're working with other people on films, it's it you it it you get reined in by other people usually. <laughs> that's. Um, and I think, um, uh, yeah, being able to not do that is 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 brilliant. And I think the best work comes out of not doing that sometimes. But uh, yeah, you mentioned Loomis from Halloween. Of course, we know the original was um, Donald Pleasance. Yes, yeah, who played the the doctor. Um, his presence in a movie—that's. It doesn't matter what the plot is. I think you need a Donald Pleasance in every horror movie. This one person who just so dead serious takes yeah. everything seriously, no matter how far fetched it is. And he kind of did the same thing in Prince of Darkness, which was another yes, reason. He, why yeah, yeah, yeah. he was uh, the priest, I think, or an archbishop yeah. or some someone up in the church. Yeah. And I just loved how, you know, this threat, which could have been very silly, this, Lovecraftian, evil, devilish presence. He just took it so seriously, and so the audience, we kind of followed him and yeah. kind of just got on his bandwagon. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that's why that partly why that film works. I, I think I do, and 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 the stuff I've worked on is not this, but I do like horror films that take it very seriously. I think it's hard to do. I think it's difficult to do that because I think. I mean. The the generally the audience response to a horror film is to laugh is to start laughing as soon as anything happens, and I think to carry that through to sort of take something seriously. And I I, I suppose things like uh, Midsummer and and some of the more recent ones have managed to carry that. But even I mean I saw I saw uh, I saw Midsummer in a cinema and that you know, people were laughing and in the, at that then oh, no. so. <laughs> I mean, I the mood. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I can't, I can't watch horror, horror films with an audience anymore. It's because... well, there's a kind of laughing where something truly scary has happened, and you just need yeah. that relief. It's not because you think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. And I remember that with, um, I remember seeing the first Paranormal Activity with a with a huge audience, and that was really good because that like, was the... so much about tension release, yes. tension release. Yeah, and you and then, laugh because yeah. you were so frightened. Yeah. Yeah, and every time it cut to the bedroom and it was another night, you just felt this everyone's in the holding their breath because you're like, Oh no, what's gonna happen now? And it was that was that was great. But but As like opposed to the laughter when you watch Exorcist Two, the heretic. Yeah. Well the, the, I remember I saw when the first Exorcist was was re released, because it was banned over here for for a long time, and then in the nineties they sort of late nineties they re re released it, then it had a the same with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, actually, but and I saw I saw The Exorcist twice, and it was I had never seen it before, and it was so the first time I saw it, it was on my own, and it was a fairly empty room, and it, that was great. And then I took a friend to see it, and we saw it on a Friday night in a room full of people, and again, everyone just laughed the whole way through, and it was completely it was just ruined. But yeah. uh, but that's one where it's so iconic, and even if they yeah. haven't. You know, you've seen so many of the scenes of her head spinning around and all that. Well, that at that point, yeah. you know, it, it has become kind of cartoonish at that point. 
yeah i think it's i think it's 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 difficult for people to take that that stuff seriously but then i had the same thing with the similar experience with the uh with it the the, the stephen king's it the, the, oh, honestly, the yeah the first the first part i never saw the second part I, but the first part i saw it was people it was and it was that thing of people sort of jumping so they would laugh but it was constant <laughs> it was uh yeah quite irritating. I, th- I think horror films are best watched on your own in in the dark <laughs> so. right well there's also there's one element tell me what you think of this because they touch on it in prince of darkness mm. it's this whole idea of this nether world and like when yeah. they have that fear thing with the water kind of you mm. know they enter that all you know alternate dimension and they're trying to get them back and i think a little of that goes a long way and i think yeah movies that try to explore the netherworld too much i have never seen a netherworld that just doesn't end up looking silly yeah yeah i think that's i think that's true um yeah i think it's it's difficult or hell or literal interpretation of hell which is these nether worlds are kind of alluding to, but then they're also saying, you know, it's some different thing. There is no heaven, there is no hell, but there are these alternate realities. Yeah. And at a certain point, the more they explain, they just paint themselves into a corner because there's really no way to explain the unexplainable. No, no, no. I think I think that's the thing. Well, it's always I think it's always the things where you it's the films where you see too much. It, that they're they're never as good as the ones that just imply that something's there i mean that was was so great about prince of darkness is when she's going she's reaching into the 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 sort of creepy woman's reaching to the mirror and you see the sort of big demon hand alien hand whatever it is coming to from the other side but you sort of have no idea what's on the other side of that mirror like you don't still leave that mystery yeah they don't cut to that side and show you what it looks like it's just darkness in this hand and it's um it could be well, anything that great imagery of the dream they all have with that yeah aped figure and it's shot on really low budget video yeah yeah that yeah. really creeped me out when i saw it and i think it's yeah. because they didn't over explain it they just it was almost like this fleeting glimpse of something that that it was you know still shadowed you you didn't quite see the person's face and it was like mm. almost like oh my god it's the devil but is it yeah 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 no it's great i mean that's the, i think that's why it works because it's i mean in some ways there, there are moments in that film that aren't subtle at all but the 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 most the overall thing is is, is presented quite subtly it's yeah it's good well what was the one i want to say insidious was that the one with barbara hershey and and the one with the uh, um, demon that looked kind of like with the red and black design. Yes, that's insidious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I love that when he appears at yeah. you know, the kitchen table. And, and I thought, great. And then even he's standing in the corner of the kid's bedroom. Mm. But then at the end, when he has to travel to that netherworld to get his son back, was it something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just ruined it. The minute you see that guy in his netherworld, it just yeah. became like a little Disney movie. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. yeah no, so it, just make a promise to not overshow the netherworlds. Yes, yeah, no, they should be. Yeah. Why do people want to do these, these little hellish alternate reality things i mean what what do they think they're achieving by showing all that 
I don't know. I mean, I think I wonder if things just get sort of slightly out of control. And I think sometimes it will be like you can imagine sitting around a table trying to work that out. Like, how do we show him going on this journey visually? And then it sort of develops into this thing that's then then just not scary. Well, do, you, do you like the TV series Supernatural? I did, and I kind of, I think I, I think I stopped watching it around season five. See, I liked it when it was into the folklore and the legends, mm. and then when it started to become these demons, and then one of them goes to hell, and the battle yeah. with heaven. At a certain point, once you've crossed that line of bringing in this divine realm of a literal hell and a the devil and angels. Yeah, and then you try to top that season after season, you just paint yourself into a corner, and it becomes a little ridiculous after a while. Yeah, I think it. it I mean, I think it, it, it turned into a bit of a soap opera, just with. Oh, I'm gonna. To be about... Where they sacrifice themselves. Oh, my brother Sam. Yeah. You no, know it's not going to be a real sacrifice. You know, they're yes. going to come back to life next season, obviously. So they're really not risking that much, and no. Sam back from hell so in the end they cancel out all that threat that they had when it was more vague yeah yeah there's nothing really at stake anymore in that but i mean uh, do you have any other pet peeves in horror movies uh i don't like it i mean and i'm guilty of this but i don't like it when you sort of have to go and this is more of a thing you just have to do but it's, it's the thing with phones like having to explain why people can't use their phones anymore is just like i just accept that that's not an option now <laughs> that you're in a horror film like but... people get access to a phone when they need it yeah well the thing is that i think i think i think mobile phones sort of like, like ruined ruined films well not ruined horror films but they did kind of cause a problem because suddenly it's not like we have to get to the landline in the house that will no doubt have been cut off it's now like every one of your characters has a phone on them so uh like all the batteries can't go out at once and all yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> or oh there's some disturbance none of us are getting our cell phone service yeah here. you have to have i mean they may as well just do a stock shot at every film with just the no signal thing on their phones because that's that's what it that's what it tends to so be every horror movie now has to take place in some remote desert mountaintop where yes, they have no yeah. cell phone towers yeah yeah that's the that's the thing that that always i understand it's, it's just a problem of uh of the sort of technology really but it's it, it kind of irritates it's such a irritates me that we that you kind of have to do it because if you don't do it someone will say well why don't they just use their phones I mean, it would be ridiculous if someone was being stalked by a serial killer and they had their phone on them and didn't use it but it's um yeah. well we're not going to talk about bird box i don't i haven't seen that actually i never saw oh. um I, I liked it, but um, it's interesting to hear people's criticism of just the 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 limitations they create on what happened in, in this story, and they they really presented something really hard. Like if you really go by the rules they created, mm. you know what characters can and can't do, and are they consistent with it? I think that's a tough thing when you create this world where there's some either a virus or some kind of demonic, you know, menace, you know, once you've created the rules for how that works, you yeah. better make 
sure the characters don't conveniently forget that to save their life down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I can see how that would cause a problem. Yeah, yeah. Or um, what about that one where the people couldn't make any noise? Oh, uh, yeah. Is that The Quiet Place? Quiet Place. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I saw the first one. Yeah. What do you think? Was that kind of something new that we really don't see that much? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. I mean, I think that that was um, it was quite good. Yeah, I thought the, the, the that thing of everyone being of the film being so quiet in itself because of what the, the people were doing. I thought that was a that was a good sort of cinematic idea. Uh, I think it sort of it definitely was a way to build up tension. So yeah, no, I think that one was good. Well, so what horror film in the last five or ten years has inspired you the most? I'll tell you what, what I saw recently, which I'd seen before, but that I really like, uh, is is the autopsy of Jane Doe. Have oh, you seen that one? no, I've heard of it. Um, what did you like about that? Well, I think it's the it's it's a very contained film. So the the idea is very simple. It's it, they're doing an autopsy on this on this Jane Doe, this this is body that's turned up, uh, and then and then things start to get weird, but this it's just a very well again it's just a very well made film it's very, it, it, you know it, it's um Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch so they're both really good actors and they they set up their kind of relationship and their conflict really well at the beginning um and this it's it, the way it kind of it's hard to talk about without spoil it's hard to talk about what's great about it without spoiling it but i thought it was a really uh there's actually it's a film with there's got a lot more going on in it than than it seems <laughs> And for a film that's all set in one room, it's very it, it's uh, it's really interesting. And I think I think that one that one's really good, um, mm-hmm. and a real and, real sort of surprise. And do you have a favorite horror TV series? Uh, I don't know really. Um, cause, uh, yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think if there's the been anything I've really liked. Hill House. I mean, I, you... I liked. I like. I liked parts of that i just felt it when it was too long i I think with tv uh yeah i think with horror on tv it's hard to kind of sustain um sustain that that i mean do you think british horror is superior to american horror no uh no not 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 at all really i mean i think uh, like I like the, there are a lot of the, the Hammer films I really like. Um, I do, I've said love Hellraiser. I don't know whether, I don't even know whether you can call Hellraiser a British film particularly, but, um, but I don't, yeah, I think there are probably uh, more, I don't know, it's fairly even with horror. I mean, I was massively into Japanese horror films as well. So I don't. I think it's a fairly universal thing. I don't think it's 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 something that that anyone really. I think in a way, I think that's what's interesting about it is that it's it's like like Halloween is a that to me is seem. I mean, I don't. I can't speak from experience, but from from that seems like a very American story. That is about suburbia in America. That's not something that I recognise as a neighbourhood here though there are similarities so i think it's interesting that different films in different countries bring out um these these other elements i suppose um yeah so what's your next project going to be 
Oh, well, I, I've mostly just, uh, well, seeing what happens to Paintball Massacre, and I've, I've been writing, um, yeah, I've just, I've, I just published a novel uh, a couple of weeks, no, a couple of months ago, rather, August. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Does it I'm take place in the Paintball Massacre universe? No, it's about, it's, um, it's similar in tone. It's, 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 it's a comedy. It's about a witch who, and I sort of, she's, it's, it's a witch and her best friend and they move into a, a council flat. So a sort of, um, sheltered accommodation, this kind of building that's owned by the local council. And, uh, they discover that the council flat is actually a prison for, supernatural creatures so she's been put there because she's a witch and and her friends there by mistake and it's 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 about them sort of discovering that and and figuring out how to get out and uh yeah so it's this it's 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 going to be a series so i've just i've just written the first the first one and the second one i've just just about finished but uh yeah has it been optioned by hollywood yet no um but it was it was a script that I wrote. So this was a script. It was called so the first book is called The Library of Lost Souls, and it's about the, the witch is called Jenny Ringo, and it's about I I, I wrote this. It wrote it as a feature. So I did I, I originally made uh, the short films I was talking about earlier were, were were based on the same character about this witch. He sort of has all these adventures, and um, and then I wrote a feature version, and I pitched it to and this is it it was like a pitching event thing but i pitched it to joel schumacher who was really interested (laughs) is he still alive no he's he he passed away unfortunately that's yeah last year or the year before but it was um yeah i was it was one of those it was it was quite pitched it face to face with him it was it it was a panel it was like an event thing where people were going up on stage and pitching to this panel of uh and i forget and but he i it was it was the whole there was like a competition element to it but uh he really liked it and i won this competition and he came over to me afterwards and said that was a great idea and then um and I, I mean, I don't think it was. I don't think it was something he was interested in doing at all. But it was completely. But uh, but that sort of gave me this. Did you talk to him about the making of Batman and Robin? No, you weren't allowed. <laughs> 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 no, he'd uh, a mess because this was it was at a screenwriters sort of convention in um, in London, and the, the the it had been sort of whispered in the hallways of this. Uh, university that, that no one could mention the batman films because uh, i think for, for i think for him they were just these they were essentially these these toy commercials that he'd done um the, for the money <laughs> and, um, oh my yeah goodness. i think i think so I, mean, I don't original. think what was the one he did with flatliners wasn't that him some great ones he did flatliners uh the, the lost boys um Falling Down's a great film. I mean, he's the, the, one of the one of the sort of great directors, I think. But um, and even later on, he did that one with Henry Cavill. There's a is it Blood Blood River or something? It's like a really kind of grungy horror film, and he made it recent, like like um, in the in the sort of last few years before he died. Um, oh, wow. That's the but that's really good. He, yeah, I know he's, but but yeah, I think that that sort of gave me the confidence that there was something in this idea. What I found was when I was, I was then trying to pitch it to to actual sort of production companies who, who, who 
sort of might have made it into my contacts was that no one really wanted to do horror comedy um uh which is sort of ironic given given painful massacre but the the um and there is this there is this sort of especially because the the concept was quite big and this is why i ended up sort of doing it as a novel instead because it was i knew there's so much there's some real sort of you know there are creatures in it and magic and all this kind of stuff and if you put that in a script and you go to someone and say here's a script it's got there's monsters and magic and things and it does sort of need that to work then they automatically just think well that's going to cost a lot of money and what did the last big horror comedy make and it's sort of that's where you get to and i thought well okay i'll try and do it do it another way but um uh yeah and that's that's that, that's what i've started sort of I've, so i'm just sort of self-publishing now on, on amazon but it's uh um yeah it's been it's been quite liberating to do and be able to do that stuff that people would normally tell you to not do <laughs> and you don't have to wait for a green light you can just do it yeah that's 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 the thing and it, i do in, i enjoy the collaborative nature of filmmaking but it can be frustrating sometimes like it is it's often a series of of battles of sort of varying severity and and you do have to pick your battles you have to choose what you're going to fight for and and uh what you're just going to let someone else get away with and um i, th- I think i've i mean i've always found it i know some people are probably better at this than i am that 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 um it's if you care you get, i can only really work on something i can only really write a script if i care about it but if you care about the project you're working on then when someone comes in with an idea that's works against the direction you're going in it's quite hard not to it's quite hard to go along with it and to not just go no this is that won't work and yeah it can get that's that's sometimes exciting to be in that room and to be sort of throwing back and forth ideas but it can also uh when you feel really passionate about something and you want to get an idea through it can be quite frustrating so that's yeah it's nice to be able to just do it without having to refer to anyone uh, yeah all right well, three final questions mm-hmm. So you've worked with Doug Bradley and that guy from London Heist. Mm-hmm. So who's the next celebrity you'd like to work with? Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, hmm. Oh, yeah, that's that's an interesting one because probably I think I think now anyone I'd want to work with is probably dead. <laughs> um, oh no. I thought because I did the not in a like I think I think I think the people the people I looked up to and the the actors and things like were I like I'm, I'm massively more into older films so yeah like um, say Doug Bradley came to you and said I want you to write me an iconic horror movie villain role and we'll get this produced could you do it. Oh yeah, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, I wrote something with I wrote something with him in mind uh, after after Tendered Men, um, uh, but yeah, he wasn't. I don't think he was interested in the end. Uh, he's <laughs> I, a little bit older than people realize because the first Hellraiser, he wasn't young. Yeah, 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 and I think because um, he he and I think there was a bit of a dispute, and I don't. This isn't first hand from him. Just just sort of stuff I've read on online. I think there was a bit of a dispute over money for the later films. I think he wasn't, and I can, I can see that as I get older as well, I can certainly see this, that 
like because actually filmmaking isn't very glamorous it's quite hard work and yeah who wants to I, I think at a certain age you probably didn't want to be sitting there in the makeup chair for sort of hours a day uh anymore and i think he sort of i think unless there was um i think for him it reached a point that unless there was enough money to make it comfortable like not just financially but in terms of the work the job itself being comfortable i don't i don't think he was that that interested but um okay say this line of his the way he would have done it as pinhead uh no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. <laughs> I can't do that. They they put they put effects on that to make it work. It would be, oh no, I can't do that. That'd be like no, I can't. I can't do it. You'd have to really put on a death metal voice to do that. <laughs> Just in the film. <laughs> no tears, please. Okay, question number two. That didn't count as a question. <laughs> Is um, this? new credit i see it's like hashtag life force is that a new short film you're making oh, yeah it is yeah 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 so that that is um uh to, to, so ross boyask who, who directed 10 dead men uh he came to me just before just before coronavirus hit really uh sort of just the, the end of last year and he just wanted to make a short film, so we 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 came up with a with an idea together, and it was based on this idea. I don't know if if you've come across this. Someone showed me this um, on Instagram. There are these. There's basically this this. It's like a pyramid scheme of people kind of selling health products. But it always, and there are a few different ones, but they almost run like cults that the people, and and, and uh, my friend was telling me about this person she knows who, who goes to this thing and, and he, he sort of goes to these seminars and then, and then his job is to then go out to different gyms and sell people these, these products that he gets a tiny bit of the profit for. Um, but his, this guy's Instagram was terrifying. Like it, like he's just completely sort of brainwashed by this thing. So it was it's a short horror film based on that idea, based on this this sort of health food. I mean, I guess similar to the stuff, the the, the Larry Cohen film, but there's this kind of this idea of this product that's actually very cults like, and it's and it's uh, so like a multi level marketing kind of thing. Yes, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, which some people say can be kind of like a cult. I think it. Well, I think it is. I think it really is. And this stuff. I, I mean, this is what. This is why I ended up making a web series about about YouTube. But I find this stuff fascinating about the 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 the, the lengths people will go to to present a reality online that's not true. And this guy who was um this this Instagrammer we was I was sort of basing it on. Um. So he he'd get up every single day. He'd be up at five a.m. and he'd post a photo uh, on his Instagram or a story rather where he would highlight a passage from the book he was reading and it would be so that was his ritual he would get up 5 a.m read a bit of a book and he would which would all these sort of motivational health self-help books highlight a passage and post that on his Instagram and you think he's clearly not reading the books he's just going through <laughs> like you just want to I, I when I see that I just want to see the reality of that situation like is he there, you know, his alarm goes off at 4.30 or whatever, he gets the book out, 
he's scrabbling through the you know skimming through the book trying to find a quote he can post like and, well, uh, he probably pays someone on fiverr to well, do the work probably, for him yeah. and i mean that's, this and is the thing <laughs> and it's, and it's, it, but it, it's the it's the it's the extra work that he ends up doing to present this image of himself which is um you know completely false um and why is it that Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, we've just become a collection of billboards, but without much depth? But I, I think because I think this was the, I, I, I think this was the this was the intention from the beginning with all these platforms, and and is is that eventually they had to be commercialized. They had to be, you know, these companies had to make money from them. And I think I think you particularly saw it with YouTube. Like the, the YouTube at the beginning was all about anyone can do this with sort of democratizing talent, and you can you don't have to have a film studio. You can go and just make content, and it's all we're all on the same playing field. And then you know you have a few years where that's allowed to go on, and these odd people get really high up in it, and then it's cut off, and they change the algorithm, and they because they've got the audience now they've taken over <laughs> sort of and youtube is now just advert after advert because that's where the, that's that that's the money which it and i think that's what's happened to all of them i think they started out they got people in by saying isn't this great this is you can do edit you can you can do microblogs on twitter you can put your whole life on facebook and connect with all of these people but i think the long-term strategy has always been once you're on there we are then going to find a way to advertise to you <laughs> and um and also sell sell you as data i suppose as well but it's um it's yeah but i, I i'm more i'm more interested in the individual who now feels they have to present this version of themselves online i think there's i think like i think if we're talking about modern and i don't think anyone's i think there have been attempts to try and i think anyone's really cracked it yet i think I think that's a really interesting concept for a horror film. Like, well, not a concept, but an area to explore is, is social media and what it does to people and what 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 they're doing to themselves. <laughs> but, uh, now, yeah. when will that be released? Well, I, well, I don't know. Idea. <laughs> have Have you guys shot it yet? No, one. Well, no, no. I mean, oh, oh the, 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 the the sorry, the short film has been. It was. It was filmed uh and then and then sort of then we went into lockdown and i think it's um yeah i don't know so i don't really know where we are with it but uh i imagine probably next year it'll be sort of doing festivals and things and then maybe after that it'll be online because uh, uh, yeah there was there was talk about doing a kind of anthology and maybe turning it into something longer but um it, again the sort of virus <laughs> stopped to that so yeah, sure. Yeah, so, right here on the spot, here's a challenge. Create mm. a new horror icon, like name him, give a brief backstory, and then tell us what his mask or little visual uh, quirk is. Oh, God. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't i don't know i mean i would go with oh. oh it's hard not to think of anything that's been done i was going to say some sort of emoji man but they did that smiley face film 
yeah, I think maybe some someone with a screen for a head would be would be interesting. Something, someone with a just a yeah, just a giant screen for a head that then shows different mm-hmm. things and maybe shows you maybe you're reflected in the screen when you're being killed. I'm sure that's been done before, but um, yeah. like a computer monitor kind of thing. Yeah, like something bulky and eighties looking, like a big sort of big bulky monitor, but but that, that, that yeah shows you shows you your own death as you're being died and yeah. What was his his nickname be? Um. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the, the the Gausser or something. Um, yeah, I don't the tube head. Yeah, maybe tube. Head. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what and what's his backstory? Was he once human? I think he was a he's a he's a frustrated IT technician. He was a um, yeah. He he's like a an IT helpline technician who um, things went bad and yeah he got. He he, put his head through a monitor one day. <laughs> that's that's stuck. Yeah, this could be good for the next Spider-Man movie. He could be the villain. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's the thing. They always end up being too, too over the top. It's hard to do something subtle because I think the subtlety, the subtle ones have been done. It's the yeah. It's over. So, I know you're from Stoke on Trent. You said you live somewhere different now. Yeah, I live in Worthing on the on the south coast. It's just it's just near Brighton. But, Worthing. Uh, so yeah. I'll ask you what I asked CJ Wally. Mm-hmm. I said if I ever went to Stoke on Trent, where I should go for fish and chips. So if I ever went to Worthing, where would I find the best fish and chips? It's fish and chips in Worthing. Um, <laughs> you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I suppose. Oh, there's one on the. There is one. Oh, I've, my mind's gone blank. There's one on the sea. I mean, it's a, it's a seaside town. So there's and there's a big one on the. There's a big fish and chip place on this on the seafront, opposite the pier. And the names escape me. So I just have to find it. You you know, in, find it. Does Worthing have a Starbucks? Yes, it's definitely yeah yeah. Uh, did it just kill the charm of the whole town? I don't. Worthing's a funny town because I I I, uh, I mean I hated it when we moved here first. It was um so so you've got Brighton is like this it's a, you've is the sort of cool town to be but it, 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 that's where all the kind of creative people are but it's really expensive because it's so close to London it's really expensive to live there so most people kind of ended up moving further and further out which is how I ended up in Worthing when I first moved here Worthing was kind of like a, this kind of it was a place people go to to retire, really. So it was it was mostly uh, uh, older people, I suppose, um, and there was not much to do. But as more and more people like me have kind of migrated <laughs> over, it's become more. It's, it's much more interesting now. It's it's the, there's a it's got two cinemas and there's a. Well, at your age, you're going to suddenly realize, wait, these people aren't as old as I originally thought. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, probably. Yeah, yeah. When I yeah when I first moved here, I thought it was it was a bit like Innsmouth. It was very kind of Lovecrafty, and it's sort of yeah, quite creepy at night. <laughs> so, what city does Paintball Massacre take place in? Well, it's, it's kind of nowhere. It's it's sort of. I mean, we filmed it in Somerset, so uh, near. Uh, I guess was well, not far from Bristol, uh, sort of in the west, but. Um, it's 
it's kind of, because if you i mean people i mean i'm sure people in the states won't won't mind this so much but i think i think uk audience is probably bothered about the discrepancy in the accents of the different characters because oh. the some of them are very kind of northern accents um but oh, we'll, we, t- we'll test that you're all the same. You could be Irish or Scottish or well, Welsh exactly. or from Liverpool, and we still wouldn't be able to understand anything any of you say. <laughs> well, exactly. So, yeah, I think I think you'll be fine over there, but I think over here... I might, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I saw the trailer. I could understand everyone. It, oh. it actually looked cool. I, I, like, I like the pub. That's what's cool about over there is just your pubs look so neat. Yeah, 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 and I, yeah, and that's such a sort of iconic sort of British thing that that this these kind of people meeting up in a pub. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, paintball is an American invention. Oh, I didn't actually. No, oh, I'm just guessing. But doesn't that seem uniquely American I to probably, like shoot each Yeah, I mean, I I only had, I've only ever had one experience of paintball, and it was it was horrific. It was. <laughs> Did you get clobbered? Yeah. <laughs> I went. It was my. It was for a friend's kind of stag weekend, and but all we were all kind of like his. Our team were all kind of creative, arty types. Like we're not sort of not kind of. Uh, you were like in the Royal Air Force. No, no, no. We we and and we turned up. We we got. We couldn't find the place. We turned up really late. Most people were quite. I'd been drinking the night before and we were quite hungover as well. And then we got there and the rival team, and this 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 bit's in the fit in the film, we'll put this in paper massacre. The rival team were all these these just huge men who just they did look like they were sort of ex-military. They looked like <laughs> and they were taking it so seriously. And we sort of turned up just laughing and messing about and yeah, we just got slaughtered. How it was this? It was the, the last few years. It wasn't that long ago. It was it was so, probably before you wrote paintball yeah it was before before i started writing it and i kept in some ways it was one of the things that kept um i had to keep changing because i kept putting things in into the script well, do you think part of this inspired it like it kind of in the back it was just there in the back of your mind after you played it oh yeah i mean i think a lot a lot of it because the thing is i think it, it made sense to me it made the whole thing made it made sense that because because the going to the place which was out in the middle of nowhere was quite intimidating. It was all quite scary. Uh, I mean, probably not to people who do things like this all the time, but to me, <laughs> um, it was you know going to this sort of random place in the middle of nowhere, and then seeing this sort of you know the the team that you were going to fight, <laughs> all like three times the size of you, and it's sort of so yeah. I could immediately see when they when they pitched the film to me. I was like, well, this I can see that being a horror film, but. Um, well, if Paintball Massacre is a hit and Hollywood wants to do the American remake, it'd be very easy to translate to America. Yeah, yeah, I think it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, because it sounds like, you know, in America, the Hollywood version would probably, you know, change it to some army buddies who have reunited after, you know, haven't seen each other in the army for 10 years. And Yes, yeah. They'll put a real, you know, big macho touch on it and... You know, use a lot more of their uh, muscle, you know, to fight <laughs> yes. the killer. Yeah, know, yeah. To be a little yeah. more MacGyver and have more little rig little traps for the killer and stuff. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So, yeah, whereas the characters in mine are, were, are all completely useless. That, that was, um, because that is my experience. 
Oh my goodness. What if you had to like adapt Paintball Massacre for every country to make it unique to their culture? Yeah, I don't yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what that would be like. It's uh yeah. I think my, yeah, I think in certain countries they'd probably get on better than the characters in this do. Right. Or some <laughs> countries they say you cannot use red paint, that's not allowed. Yeah, maybe. I wonder. I wonder if there's different rules for different. You should totally throw off your whole blood connection, but somehow yeah. you'd have to make that work. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the maybe that's the sequel is Paintball Massacre World Tour, and they, the killer just goes around to different different countries. But <laughs> that would be great. That you know, some paintball, like you said, the the paintball Olympics. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you the last word here. You know, you're high off the completion and now, you know, the two weeks from now premiere of Paintball Massacre. So what would you like to tell people out there who think you're a pretty big deal because you have this pretty kick-ass horror movie coming out? Uh, Well, I would definitely just go and watch it. Okay, definitely watch it when it comes out. That would be that would be good. And do feel free to tell me you've watched it as well. I think I think I I always try and do it when I see smaller films. Is try I try and track down the people who if I liked it. Not if I didn't like it, then I won't bother. But if I do like something, I'll try and track down the filmmakers and say, yeah, oh, I really like that. So yeah, definitely definitely come and say hello on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere if if, if you did enjoy it. Um and uh, oh and also read my book because that's what I'm doing at the moment. So uh, yeah, if you go to go to jennyringo.com, that's where my book stuff is. So. And what is the name of your book? So the book's called The Library of Lost Souls. Um, and But if you search for Jenny Ringo or go to jennyringo.com, uh, that will be, that, that's where it is. I'm just there. I'm releasing a sort of Christmas novella for free uh, uh, this this week. So um, if you go to the website, you can, you can get that or will be able to by the end of the week. So yeah. Well, his name is Chris Regan. His upcoming movie, Paintball Massacre, will hit Amazon on December 15th, only two weeks away. He lives not in Stoke-on-Trent anymore, but it sounds like Worthing is a pretty cool place, too, especially if you're like 90 years old. <laughs> but otherwise, really enjoy talking to you. Hope, hopefully, you know, I can have you back on the show and we can talk yeah. more horror when another one of your projects comes out. Yeah, yeah, sure. That was great. I'm always happy to talk about horror films. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was great. All right. Well, we'll take care and we'll stay in touch. Okay. Yeah. Thanks very much. Ha, ha, ha.